I think you have to be really honest with yourself. I think this is something a lot of people, including myself for a long time, don't do. And being honest with yourself involves also eventually recognizing that it's okay to be like, oh, I might have a talent here, right? My whole life, I just, and this is not the way to be, but I've always been like, you're not good at this. Like, what, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Like, it, it was always someone else should be good at it and I should support them in doing it. And I don't know. I just never had a high opinion of myself and I don't now, but... When I got thrown into the fire, there was obviously a small part of me that had bought that equipment and obviously knew, like, there's something subconscious in there that knew, like, hey, I could be dangerous at this. Julian Dory, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to my podcast studio, man. <laughs> Dude, I'm so honored to be sitting in your seat. I've watched you in the seat so many times. And it's so nice to be you giving me this opportunity to sit in your chair. To oh, sit dude, in my your pleasure. Studio. Thank you so much. My pleasure, man. I, I I admire what you've been doing from afar. So I thought this would be really cool. I'm really glad you came here. I appreciate that a ton. We're going to do a podcast after this as well on mine. I'm excited for that. But you've been killing it. And I, I see that you can kind of tell from people online over time, you know, whether they're for real or not. And you've been at this a long time. And I respect it a ton, so I'm, I'm glad we could do this. Yeah, there are very few people who are taking it as seriously as me and you both are, who mm. are have been doing it for the same amount of time. And I think it's like I see somebody three years into their, their journey, and I'm three years into mine, and I'm like, oh, this person's taking it really seriously. This person really cares. He's obsessed. And it's – you can tell, like you said. You can tell really easily. So I want to help break that down for people. How does somebody who is in their parents' basement pretty much <laughs> literally have yeah. some of the most influential people in the world talk to them and create trends, create people from basically out of nowhere? It's a loaded question to start, man. You got to be really stupid, really crazy, and really consistent. I think that's probably what it is. And when I say stupid, I mean... I planned out this studio that you see and the idea of having a podcast for six months before I launched it in September 2020, which literally, that's kind of weird. I didn't know you, but what I launched on the 15th. Didn't you say you launched like the same day or something? 23rd. All right. So li within a week of each other. It's kind of crazy. But yeah, I, I did not. It's a long story like how I got there, kind of boring. But bottom line was I had to be at a point where I had to make a call like, oh, what am I going to do? This equipment that I had ordered with no fucking bullshit plans at all. And it, it got here and I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm doing this. So I just started building March 2020 into April 2020. And I decided like, hey, I'm going to have to do, you know, just talk to the camera for I figured like 30 episodes or something before someone would agree to come in here. Because I knew I didn't want to ever do Zoom or anything. I wouldn't even download it. I would not consider it. It had to be in person. So I'm like, well, even when I get to guests, it's going to be me just talking with my friends. But, you know, it's going to be a while before they're like, all right, yeah, I'll come spend three hours with you. But to my surprise, I launched like 10 episodes the first day we put it out. Like I had 10 right there. Two of them were technically guest episodes. So that was cool. And I recorded a few solos that I was going to be putting out and people were hitting me up right away. Like, yo, I'll come in. 
So, dude, it just started really like episode 16 when my buddy Mitch Laxamana, who is very responsible for me, like even looking at this kind of world and doing this kind of stuff. That's a separate story. But we, I brought him in and he and I just talked like old times and had a really deep fucking cool conversation. And I just started inviting people who I knew could have a conversation and could carry it a little bit. I didn't mind if I had to do a little more work because they weren't, you know, your normal like expert on a topic or something. But I was doing that for a while, started to figure out how to market it, started building an audience. And then it very much naturally progressed into stuff like the thing that I always try to get across when people are asking me questions like this is like they think I had like this genius like I'm gonna do this and then by episode 145 Michio Kaku is gonna come here no there was none of that it just shit happened and afterwards I get stressed about it because I'm like oh my god like how did that even happen did that happen Mm -hmm. Oh my God, look at all the ways that couldn't happen. Oh, thank God this worked. You know what I mean? It's just not, it's not like, oh, it's all going exactly how I wanted it. But I'm not complaining. It's It's been a really cool ride and I've been incredibly, incredibly blessed and lucky to have so many amazing people, whether it's people you've heard of or people you've never heard of, come through this studio from as far as Peru, Africa, France, you know, and... Give me their time. Give me a day of their time, basically, to share whatever's on their mind or whatever they're working on at that time. And and I don't I don't take that lightly at all. And I, I never will. Yeah. And there's so much there that I wanna break down and go into. But the first part of it is I've heard you say a lot that you got the equipment March thirteenth, twenty twenty. And then by September fifteenth, you launch of twenty twenty. But what happened in the middle of that time? There, this is the time, I believe, though those four, five, six months when people stop doing a project, quit, or are like, what the hell am I even doing? You said you had that reaction when the equipment shows up. So you could have easily sold the equipment and been like, oh, I'm not actually starting a podcast. What made you actually continue and do it for the next four months, five months and build it out? I didn't have a choice. There was no... There were no other options. The boats were burned. So I, I guess a little bit of the backstory there. I had worked on Wall Street for about four or five years. To be specific, I worked in private banking. Because when people say Wall Street, they have like it's all the same, like this idea it's all the same. It's There's all different silos of it. I was very much, I guess, on Wall Street, but I wasn't doing like investment banking per se or some of the – you know, things you think about in the movies. Well, I guess some of them, it's a little similar. But with private banking, essentially what we did is I was a part of a team that managed money for uber, uber, uber wealthy individuals. I think the average net worth by the time I left was 60 to 80 million or something like that. So, you know, we had some people who were a few who were like a billionaire. And then we had a lot of people like in the 100 million area. And we did everything in their life. Financially, we were the quarterback of it all. My boss, really amazing guy, had built everything like himself from nothing. So I respected the hell out of that. And we also did like corporate stuff. So like it could be something like a 10B5-1 plan, managing options for executives on, you know, who have public companies all the way down to something really easy, like a 401k, which, you know, you do on the side because it gives you access to people, something like that. But I worked hard in that job, very hard, 
for, I guess it was a little more than four years. And the way that business works is that you, you come out of college, if you're able to get connected with a team like that, you get on it, you work like a dog, you make no money, nothing, right? I live paycheck to paycheck. But if you do a good job and you make it, now you make some money. So I loved my team. And to this day, I love all those people. And my boss and I were like this, very, very close. And I really loved being around him. But as my career went on, first it was like a lot of denial. And then eventually it was like, oh, shit, like I see what this is. I was like, I don't like this job. I don't, I don't like what – like I don't, in, I don't fucking get off on banking. I mean picture me in a suit every day fucking telling people their financial plans. It's not – that's not me. And the business had changed a lot from when my boss was coming up. That was another problem. And he would talk about that a bunch. And I knew it was going in a different direction. So basically I got to the point where I, I got the contract offer from him. And I think he kind of knew like in his head I was going to say no, but he was hoping I wouldn't. And I said no because I was like, look, Larry, that's a lot of money. I'd be wealthy, relatively speaking, overnight. But if I say yes to that, I mean, I could stay a year, collect a check, and bail on you, but, like, I'm never going to do that. If I say yes to that, I'm saying I'm here for at least five years. I'm in the inner sanctum now. And I can't, you know, I have that relationship with money. I I can't do that. I'm not going to do that to people because, to me, like, a lot of money ties back to the people who may be enabling it for you or maybe helping you with it. Like, I need to make sure, like, I'm locked in and I'm giving value or I don't want your money. So... I told him no. That was the end of summer 2019. And he was sad about that. But he was like, look, obviously you're you're doing a really great job and you do important work for the team right now. So while you're navigating switching an industry, you know, you can stick around here. The company pays you a check or whatever. So you pay your bills and we'll help you with, with whatever you need, which was amazing. And so I had had some side LLCs for a while at that point, you know, a little bullshit stuff, but I knew I wanted, I knew I was like a creative guy and that's where I needed to go. So I was working very hard to get, I was applying for jobs that paid fucking $38,000 a year in New York just to prove myself. And I was getting the door slammed in my face over and over and over again. I had people stand me up for interviews the whole bit. I couldn't get anything. And I knew it was going to be hard because nothing's easy and you're switching industries it's a lot of work for a recruiter to figure out what you're gonna what you're gonna look like and doing what age else. are you at this point 26 gotcha. and so you know i'm not fresh out of college i'm coming from banking and i talked to i talked to a few really nice recruiters who were just like yeah no you're like really qualified to do shit i just it's a lot for me to try to figure out what you're qualified to do over here and I'd be like, oh, well, look at some of my LLC work. And they're like, yeah, but I'm looking at people who have, like, company work, you know? So some of the recruiters, like a couple of the recruiters I remember were really cool. But a lot of the people I dealt with at companies, some of them were cool, others were not. But I just kept getting passed on over and over and over again. And so I got to the pandemic, like February 2020, I was finally starting to break through and get a little bit of headway. And during this time, I had, it doesn't really matter how it happened, but I had been like ordering podcast equipment because so many people had bothered me for years. Like, dude, you got to have a podcast. You got to have a podcast. And I was always like, what the fuck am I going to do with a podcast? But I was like, all right, if I did it, 
I'd have to do it right. So I, you know, it was like a little Saturday afternoon hobby. I'd study equipment, go to the B and H photo, you know, figure out what I wanted. So I, I order everything. I think it was like the week of March 4th or something. And if you remember, that's when shit was starting to go haywire, especially not just with COVID coming on, but with the marketplace, like, cause I was still very much working. And so I forgot I ordered it. And then as you pointed out, it got there the first day of quarantine, Friday, March 13th. I got a, I got a notification saying you have, your equipment has arrived downstairs in your building. And I'm like, of all the fucking shit dumb I've ever done, and that is a long list, this is officially the dumb... What the fuck am I going to do with all this equipment now? The whole world just stopped. Every job opportunity you started making head with, headway with just blew up in a day. And now you got you know thousands of dollars of money you don't have on podcast equipment sitting on your couch. And I just took a look at it. And I was like, well, I guess I got to build a podcast. I started building it, and my dad called me up and he's like hey this thing is not ending you know it was like two weeks to stop the curve or whatever the fuck that was he's like this is not gonna end they're gonna continue this shit and he's like if you're thinking about resigning that lease do not resign that i was like all right so my boss called me up and he said hey we, we got things under control very quickly like the team did a really really good job he was very ready for it you weren't ready for the pandemic but he had people in a good position so we had it under control, I would say, within a week. And he called it, like, market-wise. And he calls me up and he says, hey, I think, knock on wood, like, we're doing pretty good. I assume all your job offers just dried up, right? I said, yeah. And he goes, all right. Just stick around here. You know, you're working from home. When we go back to the office, that's when you can leave. I'm like, all right. So I had the best setup ever where I, I did a little work for him every day for six months. And then... When I launched the podcast, because I told him a couple months in what I was doing, I, I resigned, I think, like the day before, and I launched the podcast. Wow. No, I, d I resigned the day of, actually. That was it, that morning. So yeah. it was like you were working for somebody else for, I guess, four or five years, mm -hmm. and then that day is signifying you betting on yourself for the first time. Probably. Yeah, I never really thought about that. I never – I just always did the next thing. It's like, oh, you're at this. You're supposed to do that now. Okay, go do it. You know what I mean? Oh, you're supposed to go to college? Try to get good grades, go to a good college. Okay, doing it. All right, you're supposed to get a job after college, something a respectable industry, something you think you can make money in. Okay, go do it. I'd never thought about it. And then when I was, when I was doing that job, the, the one very cool thing about that job that was almost half of it, which I liked, was that I had to go out and know people. I had to spend a lot of time in New York City shaking hands and kissing babies and figuring out who did what, why, why this guy talked to that guy, why this girl talked to that girl, you know, what this industry did that tied into that industry. And this was the actual education on the world. Like, I, I don't have any complaints about my college education. I know a lot of people do, and that's very valid. I think I got very lucky. Doesn't matter, you know how much you appreciate your education, there is no education that teaches you how the real world actually works. You know, we can argue about whether or not they teach enough about taxes and stuff like that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people, how people deal with other people, what really happens in business. It's most of it's a facade. You figure that out when you get in there. And so I figured out 
a lot about myself learning about that. I figured out I'm not this analytical numbers cruncher. I I can I can do that. I can play that side. Like when you and I talk about my YouTube, like I look at the numbers there. I have that ability to do it, but that's not what I get off on. I get off on like making something beautiful, right? And I also figured out that like the world it, I had never thought about how fast the world is moving mm. and how fast technology is moving, how fast trends that that change, you know, how we interact with each other is moving. I'd always just kind of been a passenger on the bus. And so I was like probably I think when I was twenty four there's a little project that I, I was consulting on that really opened up some things for me. And then my friends mentioned Mike, who lived up in Jersey City. I started spending a lot of time with them. They were brothers and they were both engineers, but they were like the rare engineer who's like a marketer too, like very creative, very big personalities. So really perfect mix. They knew so many people. They knew what was going on though, more importantly. They, they were in tech, you know what I mean? Like they knew what was happening. And once I got a taste of that world, I was like, I think I'll have some more of that. That's good. And so that's where I started to figure out where marketing ties into it and and how some things work. You don't figure out a lot, but you figure out a few things to get, you know, dangerous. And yeah, then it just kind of, they were the first guys to make me do content and, and work on that. And we started doing that in late 2018, early 2019. And it ended up through some of those things, it ended up kind of translating into what I do now. So you do the podcast for a little bit. And in September 15th, you launch it. At what point do you realize you're kind of good at it? I think you have to be really honest with yourself. I think this is something a lot of people, including myself, for a long time don't do and being honest with yourself involves also eventually recognizing that it's okay to be like oh i might have a talent here right my whole life i just and this is not the way to be but i've always been like you're not good at this like what what are you doing you know what i mean like it it was always someone else should be good at it and i should support them in doing it and i don't know i just never had a high opinion of myself and i don't now but when I got thrown into the fire, there was obviously a small part of me that had bought that equipment and obviously knew like there's something subconscious in there that knew like, hey, I could be dangerous at this. And I think Mitch and Mike had really gotten me very confident with that. My buddy Chaz Servino and Ty Martin, those are two other guys that, you know, in different ways along the way really got me confident in that unknowing to me. And so there had to be a part of me that was like, all right, you should try this. But... I still didn't think I was good at it, especially like to this day, like it's kind of built in because I've, I've spent thousands and thousands and thousands of hours editing, but like I still cringe at when I'm at, when I'm talking and I'm editing it. Like there's still a small part of me that cringes because it's like, oh God, why'd you say it like that? Or like, you know, that never goes away, but when I was cringing the hardest in the build up to the podcast, when I was practice filming things and filming the first podcasts in summer 2020 that were going to be some of the solo podcasts and stuff, there were little moments where I'd let myself get a little lost in the edit and I'd start to realize like, oh, I've been watching the last five minutes. 
And so, you know, I'd sat here some late nights, three, four in the morning, and said to myself, you know, I think you're, you might be pretty good at this. Like, like it's cringy right now, but you, you, there are signs there that you could develop into being solid at this. And so for the first six, seven, eight months I was doing the podcast, I did the podcast with confidence when I came in here to do it, but I thought very little of myself and, and, you know, it was like a great paradox. Cause it's like, you know, the subconscious is there that knows like, all right, I'm pretty good at this. But the rest of you is like, fuck you, bitch. You fucking suck at this. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like a motivator in a way. And then I remember it was probably episode 38 with Grant Wiley. That was the first time when I was recording it where I knew, oh, a lot of people can't do this. In what way? It was the first time I ever had an out-of-body experience doing doing the podcast where I saw what was going to happen and how I was going to drive it to happen right before it happened. And I'm sitting right in that seat right there, which is a little trippy to look at right now. And you can even see it when I watch it. When I go watch that little part from that episode back on camera, you can literally see like my body like winding up like like a pitcher almost like here we go and uh my my friend grant's a really great guy he was one of the best linebackers in college football history he was a middle linebacker west virginia during like the pac-man jones rich rodriguez years godly player and he went to the nfl but blew out his knee badly i think he blew out his shoulder as well so he didn't he didn't last in the nfl but i had met him up in new york city and uh when, when I was up there before this all started and you know we hit it off he's he's a great guy and he's a, he's a very very smart guy too because he you know he probably got hit in the head about 6,000 too many times so he speaks very deliberately and when you first talk to him you'd almost think he's like he's not you know like the brightest guy and then he gets talking and you're like oh oh wow there's a lot going on upstairs but we were having a conversation about his life and some other things in it because he has a very, very interesting backstory and he's accomplished a lot of different things in his life. But he started talking about when he was, I think it was when he was a senior or maybe it was like towards the end of junior year, uh, the junior season, I should say, football season in college, about how his best friend from home died. And I could just see you know, when you're looking at somebody's eyes and you see them glazing over and, and not because they're going to cry, but because they're reliving it and they're there and you can kind of, it's like they're watching a movie right here. They're not quite looking at you. They're looking right here and there's a screen and they can see all of it. And I felt where I was going and I just leaned right forward in that seat and I just went right at him. I said, were you suicidal? And he, like his whole body went like this and just went back and he goes, he goes, suicidal no but and he starts describing this whole scene about how he he had a weapon and he would play with the gun at night and get really drunk and look at it just to know that he had the ability to use it and i was like so when we were done that podcast i said to him you know because he was a friend too it wasn't just at that point i was bringing all friends and i i said to him i was like what'd you think and he said you have a way 
of knocking on doors that I don't want to open, but I open them right the fuck up. Yeah. And so when he said that, I was like, it was very powerful. It was an enormous compliment. I'd, probably the best compliment I've ever gotten, maybe will ever get, especially coming from him. But I was just processing that in my head, and I was like, you know what? This whatever that I've always taken for granted, I thought everyone could just do this, just fucking bullshit and talk with people. I'm like, I don't think they can, and I can. At that point, it becomes undeniable. And I even heard James Fox say something somewhat similar at the end of his episode with you, which was, I think you guys have been talking for five hours. Six, yeah, like 5.45, something like that. And he goes, like, I just, I didn't realize all this stuff was in me. And like, <laughs> and it's like, that is the greatest sign that you've done your job, is you've let somebody express who they truly are at a full level. And it was such a subtle compliment he gave you. But I'm like, oh, that's the most important part for an interviewer to really understand because that's really what you're trying to do. Yeah, but that's the thing too. I, I am I am not an interviewer. I've never done an interview a day in my life. I talk with people. You know, I, I think that's a huge part of it. I turn the cameras on and the only thing different from when I was 25 is that the cameras are here. That's it. Yeah. You know, I sit down and the the art of conversation is something I think not to be conceited at all, but I, I think a lot of people don't understand. They do, but when they start like analyzing someone else doing it, they don't get it. And it involves very different things for all different people. You know, there's some conversations where I can wind them up like a, like a wind-up doll and sit back and not do a goddamn thing for three hours, and they're good, right? There's other conversations where they're making me pull from them. Your boys got to be active. They want to, you know, they'll sit back sometimes and go like this, like, your turn, you know, and I better be ready to introduce something, bring something to it that's going to stimulate their thoughts, you know. But it, it's not, it's kind of like all the connecting I did when I worked on Wall Street. If you wanted to call that like interviewing, connecting with people, then call it that. And that's just what I do now. But to me, I just never, I never look at it that way. Yeah. Well, in the James Fox episode as well, it was like you were, it was so beautiful because you were like keeping him on track in a way. Yeah. He would go down an avenue and you were like, no, 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 like let's go back to this suspect or this person yes. you interviewed. And I thought that was so masterful and probably something that wouldn't be noticed upon first reflection. I wouldn't if I hadn't done so many of these, but I could, I was really appreciative for you keeping him on track. Was that something you thought about prior to? How often do you think about keeping a guest on track? For that one? Yeah. Oh, I knew I was going to have to do that. So it's funny. I'd laugh at you saying this because that's an episode I was actually very proud of. Yeah. You and, should be. I'll link it below. Oh, thank Amazing. you. Amazing. Thank you. He He's a... And I'm really tight with James Alessi Aleman, who, who helps me out with the show now, had produced his documentary Moment of Contact with him down in Brazil in 2021. So... I was tight with Alessi. Alessi had obviously told me all about that, introduced us, and like we're all on a group text every day together. Like he's just a great guy. But it was actually funny. That was the most loud criticism about that episode, which ties directly into my point about how people have no fucking idea how a conversation works. Because I I was actually surprised at that. And people were like, Why do you have to keep stopping him? Just let him go. And I'm like, 
Malaka, he's talking about fucking three aliens running around a town in Brazil and, and looking at it from 12 different angles. I got to keep it straight for people at home who aren't an expert on this, number one. Number two, if I'm not challenging this and not trying to trip him up, it's not even trying to trip him up, not making sure he doesn't trip up throughout the whole way. I'm not doing my fucking job. So I could sit here, sit down in that seat and say, all right, James, you ready? Yeah. All right. Moment of contact. Go. I'll be back in three hours. And you'll just get a guy who, to his credit, is just going to tell you everything he knows. And every time you're like, well, wait a minute, what about this or what about that? You're not going to get that because he's just sitting here fucking talking to the wall. So that it's, it's funny you bring that one up. But yeah, that one, the first episode, like, because we did two episodes, the first episode, which covered like most of his previous documentary, we were so amped up that day. Because we had been spending like the last day and a half together. His flight had gotten canceled. He had to drive down here from Vermont. We were going out the night before, like the three of us. So we were like so over energized that I like that one. It's a good episode, but I could have been way better. I was like a little like overstimulated, I guess you could say. But the second one, we'd really settled in. And that's exactly what I was doing. I was just when he would talk about like, oh, Marco Cherezi picked up a live alien. I'm not sitting there nodding going, oh, okay. I'm like, wait a second. He picked up a live alien. What do you mean? Explain it. And then he starts explaining. I'm like, so wait, he got, and then I'm trying to relive the scene so that people can understand it. He got out of the car. Where was the other guy sitting? Oh, he was sitting. Okay. So he walked around that guy. That guy just stays in the car. Yeah, he stays in the car. This is how it's supposed to go. Because if I, he, he wants that because he wants it to have to be clarified. Like, oh no, that's good. You know? Oh yeah. We got to give that detail. It helps people understand, like, if people aren't familiar with the 1996 Virginia, Brazil case we're talking about, it is the wildest shit you've ever heard in your life. It sounds like a cartoon, but the evidence that James Fox uncovered for over 12 years before he went to go actually do the documentary was so voluminous that he was like, fuck, something happened here, whether it's the full thing that they're saying or not, something happened. And as he put, he had the greatest hook into that episode ever that a guest will ever do. And he didn't know it was a hook because we had been recording for two and a half hours. So he didn't know that was the beginning of the episode. But he's like, I just want to turn to the camera right here. I'll, I'll give you, I shouldn't say it. I'll give it to you so that you can play it in the episode. Yeah, he's it. like, this is either the greatest story in human history or the biggest hoax I've ever seen. There's no in between with this case. And I'm like, oh, that was good. <laughs> Yeah, that was good, man. But he was right. And that's and I love that a guy looking at such a controversial type topic like that can know that and can be like, look, I'm not telling you I was there at these things. I'm not telling you everything is 100% fact. I'm giving you all the evidence I can give, and you guys are going to have to make that judgment. And that's all you can ask for. Yeah. And I love also what I love about your episode is that there was so much that he revealed that he didn't put in that he wished he could have. Like, for example... One part that really hit me was the alien tele like putting the image or the, making some information to the person, a doctor potentially, saying, you humans, I feel so bad for you guys. You don't know your potential. And when I heard him say that, like chills all over my body. And I'm like, wow, that, that's a remarkable thing to be able to witness and to know that he didn't put that in the documentary because... He was like, I don't have enough sources. I don't have enough evidence, which made me believe him more. And it was only through your questioning that I could really feel the the presence of what he was trying to say. So that's great to hear, man. I mean, I, I 
again, when I have a guy like James Fox is the fucking man. I love that dude. In addition to being quite possibly the nicest human being I've ever met, I could go kick that guy square in the nuts and he'd be like, hey, Julian, how are you? Like, he is the nicest person you will ever meet in your life. He is even nicer than you saw on camera. Like, in addition to that, we are talking about a dude here who's like in the kind of space where people are always like, oh, they're just trying to monetize it. This motherfucker was a he's a brilliant filmmaker if people haven't seen his documentaries you have to watch him like as a forget the subject matter as a filmmaker he is a genius his work is it's beautiful right but he had that skill when he was young and his father was like a journalist and and worked on a lot of quote-unquote respected things but he got a hold of some cases and he couldn't let go and this is a guy who from age 21 to about age 50 when the phenomenon came out in 2020 was dead fucking broke. He was in fact, I think it was close to a million dollars in debt or maybe a little more when the phenomenon was coming up. He spent eight or nine years on the phenomenon, literally like on the floor. So he described, I put, there's 15 minutes that I put on Patreon in between episodes when we were sitting down where he describes exactly what those years were like and how you know his partner Rebecca was like it's got to be this one or it's got to not happen but he had made brilliant films before where he just made the money back that he put into it you were talking about a guy who was a carpenter a limo driver a fucking ditch digger a a a, a valet he did all these you know hustle hard low money jobs as this brilliant filmmaker just to be able to feed his dream. And then finally, when he gets the phone call from Joe Rogan in 2020 after the documentary comes out saying, James, I fucking love this. Can you and Jacques Vallée, the French scientist, come in? You know, that exploded the documentary. It's the, the phenomenon, I think, is the greatest UFO documentary ever made. I don't know that it's close. There was what was the one Spielberg did in the seventies? That one you'd have to say just because it was ahead of its time. That's that that is definitely up there. That that could be the best. But in modern history, at the very least, phenomenon's the best. And and it's nice to see that the work got recognized by someone great like Joe Rogan and a guy like James. Finally, you know, he doesn't have to live paycheck to paycheck now. He can he can work on his documentaries. That's what allowed him to do Moment of Contact. Two years later, he puts it out. Dude is a machine. He's in there filming, editing, investigating all the time, and he wants a high burden of proof. He's one of these guys. Like I'm always a good skeptic with him when I talk with him because I, you know, I'm a bullshitter from New Jersey. So I'm always like, "What do you, what do you fucking mean? You got evidence on this?" He's like, "No, no, Joy, let me tell you, man, you got to check it out. It's amazing. Like you got to see this evidence. Oh my god!" And I'll just be like. I'll be like, James, I don't know, man. That one sounds out there. He's like, Rebecca, I'm on the phone with him again. I'm trying to explain it. <sighs> and, you know, he'll then he'll go through everything with me and I'll be like, wow, that is, wow, good job, James. Like he really goes balls to the wall on all of it. And well, so I trust him a lot with the information. Yeah, and I think part of your success is because you can just really, you're, you have so much love for these people that you, you talk to. Like the guests, when you call me up on the phone it's like you'll never believe this guy this guy's amazing this guy's amazing and i could see how much you care about the people you talk to and the people can feel that themselves i'm sure when they're sitting in the chair of like at the heart of it is like i have love for you and i want to tell your story in the way that is best for you 
And I think that's a remarkable skill to have as the base level. And if more people had that, the world would be a better place. So what do you recommend to get people to have such love for the people in their lives? Well, I mean, thank you for that. I, I, I have, I have a great respect for all the people to come here and I think the first thing you got to consider, and it's not just for a job like this. This is for this is applicable to everyone. Relationships are everything. Communication with human beings is everything. So it's not just like two assholes talking on a podcast about podcasting. But I think when you're communicating with people, what you got to understand is that in this very complex world we live in, the internet and the loud fucking just annoying people on there oversimplify all human beings they try to label everyone down to one or two things depending on whatever their worldview is and human beings are more complicated than ever so i don't buy that one bit i care a lot about intention and i care a lot about the most overused overused word on social media, but it's true, the authenticity. I don't mean that as like a hashtag authenticity. I mean like, is this person sitting across from me bullshitting me right now or are they genuine? And I can honestly say I've done 150-something of these and I have I've not had a bad experience yet with a guest. Are there a few here and there that, yeah, I wouldn't have them back in? Sure. But not because they're a bad person or anything. It just wasn't, you know, the conversation didn't entertain me enough. You know, there wasn't enough to get there. But most of the people who come in here, I feel a great pressure on all their episodes because I'm like, you know, especially when they come in, they come in and do some really heavy lifting and really, really make a show out of it. I, I want the world to see that. And I'm like, I got to package this the best way possible. Of course, it helps me. That's just the nature of the beast. I mean, I'm the one here building a podcast, but I'm like, I think people need to hear what David Satter has to say. I think I think they need to hear what James Fox has to say. I think people need to understand how a guy like John Boziak got to where he was, where he was in a lot of trouble. You know, it, it might, you learn a lot about, as you well know, doing what you do, you learn a lot about yourself through other people's lens on life. And so I have a great reverence for that. Just like I talked about that moment with Grant Wiley earlier, that was the deepest, one of the deepest, darkest things he could possibly explain to me. And I had a very powerful moment on a similar subject, not to get too morbid, but on a similar subject eight episodes after that with my friend Ashton Larald, who discussed it. And it was, he's an incredible communicator. He's a, he's a, artist he's been a rapper all kinds of stuff actually if people if you've ever seen that video what's the title of it it's like it's from like 10 years ago like kid absolutely destroys other kid in freestyle in high school rap battle it's got like 30 some million views on youtube that was him wow. he's just an amazing wordsmith like incredibly smart guy but he's had a lot of trouble in his life mentally speaking and you know it wasn't from his house like he grew up in a really good house and everything he's got a great family he just there, there were a lot of natural things that happened to him that, that were hard and he's been suicidal many times before and he started talking about how he took control of that and that was i ended up making a clip out of that that i had incredible reverence for and and to this day 
it gets reposted by accounts around the world because he describes how he took, in a positive way, how he took control of that feeling, how he didn't let that consume him anymore, and here he is today. And I get messages to this day from people saying, yo, seeing that, really, I, that was at the right time to see it because that changed my perspective and probably saved my life. And he gets reached out to people because of that. And so when people are sharing those things, you realize every person in here could be the person that goes to – it doesn't have to be on that specific subject, but goes to places where they are really, really showing you inside their soul, and you better fucking be respectful of that if they're going to do it. Yeah. What have you learned about yourself from doing this? I mean, as we discussed, I learned, like, I can do this and that not a lot of people can do it, like like what I do. I wish everyone could do it. I mean, make the world an easier place. I often joke that I could put, I could put all most divorce lawyers out of business very quickly if we mandated that all divorcing couples had to be locked in a room like this with no lights and headphones on for twelve hours. Believe me, you wouldn't need a mediator. They couldn't leave. They had to sit here with their headphones on and listen to each other. So I, I wish everyone could do this kind of thing. But yeah, I, I learned that. I also learned that. I have some sort of real emotional depth to understanding human beings and how they act when I've gotten in trouble in my life, you know, with fucking things up or whatever, which is quite often. It's because it actually ties back to me thinking way too much, which I, I kind of knew that, but like I got a new lens on it with this because I see how in tune I am with the other people in here and how much, you know, no one can ever read minds and I do not try, but how much they will give me enough. So whatever's happening is making them give me enough that there's a wavelength of communication below what they're saying as well. And I don't know, sometimes when I'm, when I'm talking with people, not on air, but like in life, I get a little freaked out because I feel like you know, there's at least somewhat of an awareness when someone has the headphones on in here as a guest that like, oh, there's something, I'm really communicating stuff right now because of this and how personal this is. But when you're just talking with someone, sometimes they're not fully aware of that and what they're saying. And then they get a little, you know, you can kind of see it. They're like, oh, wow, I just told you that, you know, and I figured out people tend to do that pretty easily around me. I just thought they did that around everyone. <laughs> Yeah, it it's the it it's so clear that you're coming from the place of this is really who I am. Take yeah. it, leave it. Yeah. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. And that is very endearing to people because it makes people feel safe. Mm. And that's a beautiful thing. I want to talk to you about how you've managed to like the inflection point. The inflection point for you when you're like, all right, this is different here because you're always having great guests. You're having great conversations. But then at some point you must say to yourself, what's going on here? Like Michu Kaku's coming in and I'm talking to him <laughs> and then he's on Joe Rogan. You recorded first and could have had it out first. But like and then you're like, all right, Andrew Bustamante, he's going to be the biggest spy in the world. And he actually becomes the biggest spy in the world. Like the, at some point you have to say to yourself like oh, I'm actually changing the narrative of the world in some way, just from this tiny little studio. 
And that's a remarkable thing. At what point did it feel to you different? Pearl, I, I mean, I don't know that it does still. I really look at myself as I'm still a loser who lives in my parents' house and, you know, I upload things to the internet and it's just numbers on a page, you know, and, and that's part of the motivation, I think, for me. It's just a way to be like, all right, bitch, get in the game. Let's go. You know, you got to work. You got shit to prove. But I'll say when, when where things changed until episode 87, I never tried to get a guess. I actually didn't try it episode 87 either, but I'll get into that. But I'd had a, I had had a few guests along the way just of people I knew who were like, the real deal maybe the public didn't know them but like when i brought in special agent jim diorio who's a dear friend of mine like that that changed things because people hear that guy's resume and then they listen to him talk and they're like how the fuck did you get this guy it's like oh this is just fucking uncle jim this is my buddy right but he's not really my uncle i just people call him that online it's kind of funny but anyway so there were a few here and there but i had started the thing that really made the difference with my podcast is that there's only one reason it found success, and it's not because of what happens in here. That ended up carrying it, but I had to get people there. I had to get people clicking on a three-hour episode, which, again, told you had to be a little stupid to do something <laughs> like this. That's what I was doing from day one. So that's hard to do to get people to buy in, but the way I was able to do it was through short-form content. Because in early 2021, I looked around the marketplace, and I was trying to find one thing that I could differentiate myself on. And I looked at, you know, the TikTok feed and, you know, the shorter content online and so many industries did an amazing job. There's so many unbelievable creators out there that you could look at it like, well, I could never compete with that. But then I looked at podcasting and it was the biggest pile of heaping fucking garbage I'd ever seen. I was disgusted with my industry because even all these huge podcasts that maybe didn't need to do it and that's why I kind of understood that, but... As far as I was concerned, if you were a podcast making a lot of money and you were not in the top 100, if you were not taking advantage of short-form content and you were putting out so little effort that you would just upload a 1350 by 1080 box to the TikTok feed and just not edit it and hope people were going to watch it to compete with you know, all these other amazing creators, that was so arrogant to me. And I'm like, this bar is low. This is a low bar. We're going to crush this. And so I spent about six months building up and having starting to go viral with some things, working in like – I'm like, let's make mini movies. Let's make like, you know, let's put music with it. Christ, we're, you, you, you flick through the feed and it would be someone dancing. The next one would be music behind a guy taking you through his life in a vlog like brilliantly. The next one would be music behind whatever the fuck. And then the next one would be podcast like, yeah, bro, so what would you do yesterday? No music. And I'm like – uh, like I'd sit here with the phone with my eyes shut and be like, music, like move my body, music, oh fuck that shit. Next, and I'm like, oh these guys are garbage. All right, we're 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 gonna we're gonna fix this. So I started to figure out. I started with music. You know, you have to do cringy shit to kind of figure out what's starting to work and what people want. Figured out a whole bunch of little things. I don't need to bore you with. And then eventually, I was like, we're gonna make actual movies. When people are sitting in here discussing things with me, they are telling a story. So they're painting a picture. So I'm going to fever dream the fuck out of my mind, and I'm going to create those images in perfect format. I will recast people into the role of what's being said. So when Ryan Tate sits here and is talking to me on camera about almost being murdered in South Africa because he had a bounty on his head, 
he's a ex marine who hunts or protects wildlife like elephants, rhinos, lions, pangolin, all these amazing creatures in Africa that are being hunted and funded by foreign nations for terrorists to come hunt them for money and endangering them. And so he runs this unbelievable organization, Vet Paul, out there. He's been doing it for a decade. When he's sitting here telling me about the story about when he had a bounty on his head and then he had to leave to go get a surgery in the U.S. and the guy who replaced him was murdered in the middle of the street. In my head, and I think about this after the podcast, I'm constantly thinking, what was I picturing? And what I was picturing was I had this kind of redhead guy across from me in Africa. So I saw Ryan Reynolds in Safe House and I saw Denzel Washington as the guy that got fucking marked. Now, the plot of the movie Safe House is nothing to do with poaching and whatever, but they're in Africa. It's this wild, you know, kind of undercover guys and there's all kinds of scenes in the street and shit. And so when I went to make a short out of that, you goddamn right, I used that footage and I went and found footage that could match it, that, you know, could trick, could fool the heart more than trick the eye. And so when I started to do content like that, I was maybe like four videos in and I posted one one night that ended up being really viral on TikTok. And I kind of knew it right away just based on the numbers that were coming in. And, and my buddy, Mike Laxamana, who I talked about earlier, texted me. And he never like, you know, we talk all the time, but he's like very, you know, he's more of a pool resource than a push resource. And... He texts me the link to the video and he says, hey, I know that this new thing you're doing takes a lot of time. And I was like, Malaka, you have no idea. And he's like, that said, you need to triple down on this. This is fucking amazing. This is going to change the game. And I was like, okay. So I did. And, you know, today I see people trying to do the content that I was doing for a long time online. It's kind of cool. But that was really – that was the thing that changed it and the inflection point happened. It built up to the inflection point because I was putting the same content. I was going viral on TikTok all the time in 2021. I'm putting the same content on YouTube shorts that YouTube was trying to build and the watch time was absurd. It'd be like 105%, 110%, 115%. I'm like way higher than TikTok because on TikTok, you know, you have a lot of 14-year-olds who go – there's more like 19 to 26 in the shorts feed, higher volume of that in on YouTube. And it's also more built for like podcast audience type people. So I'm like, why are these videos not getting sent in the feed? Because all my success on the podcast at that point was on audio. It was on Apple and Spotify and I couldn't get YouTube built. And I was like, YouTube's by far the most important thing. I got to figure that out. Got to figure it out. So I just kept posting. And then December 1st, 2021, I mean, it was like a rocket. All the old content algorithms started grabbing. And the whole feed was just like all my videos that take fucking 15 to 25 hours to make. So I was like real happy to get a return. But when I did that, people were like, how the fuck have I not found this podcast before? My subscribers went through the roof and people started buying in early. And so I got a call from a guy who's now a very close friend of mine, Mark McCrane, in early January, who said, hey, I'm good friends with Raj Rajaratnam. Do you know who that is? And I was like, <laughs> I'm like spitting out my coffee. I'm like, do I know who that is? I'm like, yeah, I followed that case when I was like a fucking freshman in high school. And he's like, so Raj Rajaratnam, for people out there, is, is one of the greatest investors to ever live. He was one of the top hedge funders on Wall Street. He was... Long story short, thrown in prison 
for 11 years. It was the longest sentence for insider trading ever doled out as like a punishment for the financial crisis, which those guys had nothing to do with. This is what, when I said earlier, like people think Wall Street and they make it all the same thing. This is exactly what I'm talking about. The New York Southern District of Manhattan wasn't willing to make cases against the people who actually did the financial crisis because there was a chance they would lose. They were hard, complex cases to make. So when they weren't doing anything, the public was freaking out. So they picked the law insider trading that they knew they could just find technicalities on people on and they went to hedge funds. And what did they say in, in the headlines? They said cracking down on Wall Street for the financial crisis. So Raj Rajaratnam, to really make this short, was a guy who, as I would tell him to his face before we ever did the podcast, I, I did think was guilty as fuck. I didn't think it was that bad of a crime. Like, I didn't think it was like a huge deal. But yeah, I mean, I thought he was guilty. And I told that to Mark McCrane. He's like, well, yeah, a lot of people say that. Um, personally, I, I don't think he was. I, I know a lot about the case. But I think you'd have an amazing conversation with him. I'm like, Raj wants to come here? He's like, yeah, I'll get him there. He's worth what? Six to $8 billion? My Now, Raj is a very humble guy. He ain't going to tell you. My guess, I don't need to get how I arrived there, is that it's somewhere between four and six. I know Forbes don't have that information, though. So when I say it's a guess, it's a guess. But I'll put it this way. That motherfucker was buying Ethereum from his prison cell in 2016. Holy smoke. He is a genius. So anyway, that was the rare podcast. Like, I just do all these podcasts live. There's too much going on. I don't really... You know, I just sit down with people, but it was it was going to be a very unpopular type stance to take because you know how society works now. I got a billionaire hedge funder in front of me telling me about his case, you know, so I'm like, all right, I got to do, I got to prep for this. And I'm very glad we did the podcast. I look forward to the second podcast we're going to do because it'll be way better. It was not my best podcast because I was so like uptight about it and the reason i was is because when i started digging into the case i read his book that he wrote by hand in prison which was his side of the story to be clear so i'm like take it with a grain of salt then i start actually looking into the case reading the court documents going through it and i'm like son of a bitch this guy got fucked and i couldn't get out of my head i'm like i'm not gonna sit here and act like this guy didn't get fucked like he got fucked and so i'm like that is the most unpopular stance you could possibly take so when we were sitting in here, I was so like this the whole time because he'd be going through details. And all I'm picturing in my head is the cynic guy like me at home going, but he's not answering this thing right there or that detail right here. So I like had every detail in my head and he'd be talking. I'd be like, all right, back up though. What about, remember the call? Or <laughs> he's, we're getting up halfway and he's like, damn, you know this case better than I do. This is great. <laughs> But I wish, like, now, at the time, I didn't realize I could do, like, two podcasts. That's how I would have done it. And I would just let him talk for, like, eight hours. Yeah. And, like, same with James Fox. Like, that's how it's done. But I'm like, we got to get this in three and a half. And so I was, like, way too active. But it was a very important podcast to do because, to go back to your original question, it was the real inflection point where I said, oh, maybe we could get some real people in here now and so when i call it when the ukraine war broke out a few weeks later and some fans threw out the name david satter who is like the preeminent psychologist in the western world of vladimir putin i looked him up i'm like ah oh, johns hopkins this looks like the real deal cool find a cell phone number online i'm like all right let's give him a call 
fucking guy answers it in France. Wow. And I'm like, I can't believe he answered. I'm like, hey, what's going on? And it's like, hey, how are you? <laughs> I'm like, uh, listen, I got a YouTube show. I got a bunch of people who are saying, I got to bring you in. Uh, you're in D.C., right? He's like, well, I'm in fucking Paris right now. And he didn't say fucking. He's, he's, he's an upstanding individual. He's like, well, Julian, I'm in, I'm in Paris right now. And I'm like, oh. But you live in D.C. He's like, well, half here. My partner's here. She's, uh, she's, she was kicked out of Russia, too. But we spent half our time in D.C. You know what? I could fly back. I could. I could. You want to do it next week? And I'm like, what is this guy? An idiot? Yeah. Yeah, I'll do it next week. <laughs> and so he came. He flew back. And I think he knocked out a couple other things while I was here in New York. So I brought him in. And I mean, episode. I had him in again in episode 133 which got hurt because that was the week YouTube's algorithm broke. So people loved that episode, but no one saw it. But 92, a lot of people saw when I first brought him in. And he gave, I mean, that's the Bible. If you want to know about Vladimir Putin and what he'd been up to, this is the guy who was blowing the whistle on him in like 1999. How do you, you, you said you, you scoured the internet for his phone number. And uh, I'm curious how you even get the guests in the first place, right? You bring in some of the most incredible people. Part of it, part of what we do is identifying people to bring in. Sure, yeah. How do you cultivate the curiosity to figure out which people you want to come on your show? Oh, such a great question. I. It's one of those things when people talk to me, and I get this question all the time from people who can help me find people, because that David Satter story is a rare story. I've only cold reached out to... I think four people before david satter nancy solomon from number 118 andy greenberg not no that wasn't a real cold reach out i had sold a lot of books for him and he found out about that so that doesn't count uh safi ralph from episode 142 and ken McG ken mcgee from episode 140 and 141 those are the only cold reach outs i ever had Ken and Safi came from a bunch of fans asking for them. So I hit them up and they're like, fuck yeah, we'll do it. Nancy Solomon did an unbelievable podcast that people should listen to about the wildest political cold case in New Jersey history. It has everything you want in it. About It was called Dead End. It's on Spotify and Apple. She did this eight-part investigative series and got this murder case reopened up by the FBI unbelievable so i reached out to her she's a reporter at wnyc and i'm like nancy this this is new jersey it's murder like you gotta come in and she did it and so forever grateful grateful to her but yeah david satter was the only other one before that all the people i get it's through the skill from the previous career it's just talking with people who knows who they fall in and then some people reach out i get way too many people reaching out to be on the podcast now so I've been burned by that a few times where people then, you know, don't show up or shit if it's not someone who's known. So unfortunately, unless it blows me away and that's never happened, unfortunately, like I, I only bring in people who have some sort of public profile, mm. like they had to write books that were actually, you know, not just self-published on Amazon or something. They had to you know, be active online as like a personality expert on something. But most of my guests come from reach out and, you know, Danny Jones and I, my really close friend who runs a great podcast called concrete. 
Will, I've sent him probably about eight, nine guests before. He's sent me eight or nine guests. So we'll try to spread them out when we do that. But we have our own little silo on the internet there. And I'm constantly just like adding to the list. When people point out, when fans ask for people, sometimes it's like, all right, I wouldn't have that person in. A lot of times I'm like, I would. So I have a running list right now. It was at 125. I think it's up to like 200 and something of fucking people to reach out to who are now, by the way, many of them connected to people I know. So I'm not just going to reach out. I'm going to be like, yo, you know, call up Joby Warwick or something like, yo, can you hook me up with David Grant or something like that? You know, so that helps. The web gets bigger as you do. So it wasn't like this all the way. But, you know, after David Satter, there was this dude, Tyler, who's gotten me, I think, three guests before. You know what? We need to talk about this guy. This this is Tyler Sherman is the unknown man of the Internet who is. I can't believe he's real, but this guy is like the nicest dude ever. Very smart. He made his money. I some form of like real estate investing. I think he's in like his mid thirties or something like that. But every podcast, not everyone, but a lot of the big podcasts you know have talked to this guy. So like before I ever knew Danny Jones at Concrete, he'd been working with Tyler for two years, and I had known Tyler for a year, and he had booked me a guest right when I met, right when I met Danny. But Tyler asks for no money. He will not accept any payment or whatever. He's just the podcast connector and scheduler. So like I said, I've gotten like three or four people from him before. I have sent some of my people I found to him. He puts them on all these other podcasts. I don't even have to do it. And he just like, he'll call you up and he'll be like, all right, so I got a guy in New York. He talks just like this. I got a guy in New York. He's uh, he's working on this thing with this guy who's innocent in prison. And he's been discussing it online with a lot of people. I think you should bring him on. And then I got this other guy. He's out in California. No, he's actually in South Africa. I'm sorry. And like, he'll just run through all these people and to go to your question of like what do I look for in a guest I was on the phone with him yesterday and it's funny like one out of 20 people I'll be like yes mm. 19 out of 20 I'm like no like you start something I'm like no that's a good one but I'm not interested in that or like no that doesn't work I don't I don't know if that's there it's a very intuitive thing because if I'm going to bring someone in here I need to be highly interested in everything about them that's why I looked at you for a while before I ever reached out cuz I'm like well he's a podcaster he does what I do. And then I watched you like hustling about it. And like all these people you were talking to, I'm like, yo, this kid has the fucking web down. I am <laughs> interested in that. And that's why I reached out because I'm like, I respect that. I know what goes into that. You're doing fucking three episodes a week. But if you were just like another podcaster who wasn't doing something necessarily like related to what I do, I'd admire it. But I, I'm probably not going to bring you in for an episode. You know what I mean? There's not enough there for me to really pick apart for two or three hours. You know, because I want to be so invested in that person because it means something to me, too. It's Look, does it make a great product? Yes. But it also, it, it's it's a genuine thing. Because if I'm sitting here and I got to fake it with someone, and thank God I've never had to do that, dude, I can't, I can't even imagine that. I don't know if I'd be able to put it out. Because you'd be able to know. You'd know. Like, oh my God, he has no interest in that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I had one come in last night from another guy. I'm not going to say what it was. But he's like, he's got, he's got, whatever, three million followers on Instagram or whatever. And nice guy he was talking about. Nothing wrong with him. But I was like, yeah, I just don't give a fuck about what he does. Like, I have less than zero, no offense, just like, 
I'm not going to sit here and fake that I'm interested in that. I'm sorry. You know, he's like, and, and my friend who's trying to help me out, he's like, but he's got like three million on Instagram. I'm like, listen, Malaka, Andy Bustamante had zero. And like, we can take care of business. You know what I mean? I'll take, I'll take the thing that has the right backstory to do it. And I wish it's my fault. I wish I could communicate it better to people. I'm so bad at it. You know, poor Tyler sits on the, like, he still doesn't, and it's not his fault. He still doesn't know exactly what I want because I'll be like, well, this topic or that topic, and then he'll bring me one, and I'm like, but not that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's very hard. Well, I think what's interesting is the guests themselves become a representation of you, and you get to know people, and you're like, oh, wait, th this is who I am at a deeper level. And each oh. person that you bring in... If you can distill every single one of Rogan's guests for 2,000 episodes, that's him. But it's like he was getting to know himself and unpeeling the layers through talking to the people that he was actually interested in. So I think when you do it like us, yeah, I'm seeing your face. What What is going on in your mind right now? How much weed do you smoke? None. Really? Yeah. I've only smoked weed in college, but have good for, for you. the past you, five you, years. So you're just born with this in your veins. This is like meta shit. It's really impressive. I never thought of that, bro. I think you're onto something there. Right? Like you're learning more about yourself through the people you're choosing to bring on. And very few people get that opportunity. And, you know, something that I notice from looking at you and your guests is that like a lot of them go to a dark place. And it, it's not it's not a necessity right, for, for you to for you to bring them on. But there's a darkness in your being that comes through on the podcast and i'm curious what you think of that all right this, this is where i'm gonna disagree with you and i'm gonna call you out a little bit but it's it's funny but you're like the most positive dude ever like i could literally you're another one like james fox i could kick you in the nuts and you'd be like yo how are you man how you doing you know like then like legit the danny miranda people see on camera that is danny miranda off camera the nicest guy ever and like you do a podcast where – and we'll talk about this later on when, when we do the podcast where you're going to be a guest on mine. But you do the podcast where you're like, yay, how would you build this? Let's go, man. Like, oh my god, what's your – your mentality is amazing. You know? And it's, it's all that like over and over and over again. So you're seeing the best of all people. And I actually think that's – a lot of that's a great thing because it gives you – it's not to say like you paint the world with rose-colored glasses and you can miss stuff, which you can. Yeah. But for your – I think you said something to me on the phone yesterday like for your own inner peace, there's certain things you do and your podcast is a big part of that too. And I think that is so good in a world that's filled with so much bullshit and to use your word, darkness. Mm. Like we have to have that. My podcast though is not dark. There are guests that you would never have on there so you are overwhelmed by it because you're like, fuck, this is dark. But you know, there's places we go that get there and places we go that go back and forth. So I always joked with people when people were asking me in the first 50, 60, 70 episodes, like how, what do they think about the style and why people like it or, you know, what you're doing. And I'm like, listen, one minute we can be joking about, you know, some hot chick and the next minute we can talk about the meaning of life. And it just flows like that. So it might go from like, oh, we're just fucking around here, me and Mike Spear having a good time to like, you know, 10 minutes later, we're talking about something in his childhood that came up and it's like heavy, right? So it can go back and forth with that. But a lot of my episodes, you know, even some that like should be dark, mm. like like the Andy Bustamante one we just did, very 
light. You know, we, it's like, funny that you say that because I disagree completely. Yeah, yeah, because you're used to what you're used to. No, but. but no, the reason why it was dark for me is because here he's talking about how he got, he's, dude, like his, the problem, not the problem. He, it was so interesting how he tells on somebody in the clip you were showing me, and it stuck out when I was listening to it as well. He tells on somebody at his um, military school, and he's confused by it. And that leads him down a path of being like, the world is bad. People are not kind. And he had that. And to me, that's dark. Well, no, that, that, that 10, 15 minutes is dark. And then the rest of it is like fun spy stuff, talking about, talking about Middle East policy, which should be like dark, talking about all these places. He's like, yeah, you got Syria. But it's very light. It's like, you got Syria. Those fucking guys. Oh, my God. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like that. There's no, you know, it's pretty like Sean Ryan. That, that is a dark episode through and through. There is, there is almost, you know, there were some laughs in there still. I make that point. Like there's still jokes all over the place. I, you know, I'm an easy guy to laugh at if, if, if you will, I don't mind that, but you know, I guess it's like the Jersey, whatever people get a kick out of that sometimes at my expense. And that's fine. Cause it keeps it light. But that episode, like even when we were talking about like foreign policy and shit, he was like, we're all going to die. China's gonna put a power grid in here. It's fucked. Are you are you are you prepared for it? He's he's looking at me. He's like doing the purse lips thing. Like, yeah, I'm prepared for it. Yeah, I think through looking at the darkness, you can then see a a new version of the light, where mm-hmm. where you saw Matt Cox and someone would say dark. You saw light because you actually were able to look through it and and actually see him for what he was. I also laughed my ass off. Yeah, that, that's hysterical. Helps. When he starts talking about the Salvation Army, fucking God. I can't even, I can't even say this. Like those laughs you see where I can't, where I'm choking. Listen, I don't know how to fake laugh. That's, that's as real as it gets. Like you are just, you're losing weight for three hours in the podcast. Just pissing. Like you should do a podcast with Matt Cox. I'm going to make that happen. <laughs> you need, now look, you need to like spend 10 hours with him. That's the mistake. I mean, the two times I had him in here were before I realized I could just let people go and build longer flights to send him home and just let him go and I'll make it two, three podcasts. But like each time I had to like cut it because it was at three and a half, which is I won't put out podcasts longer than that. I'm like, Crazy. I, I got to stop. But like with him, he'll just go, man. And he's got a story for everything. I mean, he went to the Ivy League of prisons. He went to Coleman. They have everyone there. It's the biggest federal prison in the United States. His legal team in prison, his fellow prisoners who were his legal team, are some. it was like the OJ team. They were like the best lawyer. Now they're in fucking prison, but they're like the best, some of the best lawyers in America, you know, like who helped shorten his sentence from what he originally had. It's the stories. Like I keep on waiting, like we're holding off on doing part three. Because it just worked out where the first time it was about his whole rise through crime and we left off right when he went on the run from the FBI. The second time I'm expecting to finish it, but we're three and a half hours in and, and it ended when he got arrested. So now the third time is going to be all prison and we'll probably have to do two of those just for him to tell the story. But it's like you are just pissing yourself the entire time because it is fucking hilarious and it's also very revealing. He reveals a lot about himself, and he is aware of that. You know, he has an intense awareness of of what he reveals, which is not always pretty, obviously. Yeah. You know? How has your perspective of the United States changed upon doing the podcast? 
I laugh at that just because, like, some of the conversations we had off camera. My perspective on the U.S. by the time I started the podcast, like when I went to start it where it was, it has not changed a hell of a lot. My perspective, my, my perspective on the ingredients. No, how do I want to put this? My perspective on the entree that we see on the table has not changed. My perspective on the ingredients and how they're cooked and who cooks them has changed. In the U.S., it's changed less. In the world, it's changed more. So, you know, like I said, I, it, it is not lost on me when I have one week someone sitting in here who just flew from forest fires in Peru to fucking New Jersey to my parents' house. They're like, get to pet the dog downstairs. Like, meet my mom in the kitchen if she's actually here. There's a lot of times my parents stay with, with my grandparents. My mom takes care of them and my dad can work from wherever. So... A lot of times I'm just here alone, but other times they're here and people <laughs> come in and they like don't know they're coming here. It's kind of funny, but it works. And I'm very grateful to my parents, by the way, for making this possible. I would not ever have been able to do this if like I didn't have the opportunity to build a studio here. That doesn't get said enough. But, you know, like I'll have that and then the next week I'll have Matt Cox on, you know, from Florida talking about all these crimes. And then, you know... To go back to the world and U.S. perspective, though, you have in people like Andy Bustamante. And, I mean, you see how in-depth it gets on camera. It gets more in-depth off camera, you know? And I, I take that very seriously. I don't discuss that stuff unless I'm allowed to, unless I say, like, it's fine. But there's a lot of people like that. You know, when I talk to David Satter, this is a guy who was kicked out of Russia. He's the only journalist ever kicked out of Russia post-Soviet fall. And he's actually the only journalist who was also kicked out of the USSR <laughs> right before the fall. And he was the last one to be let back in in maybe like 94. But, you know, to hear about – and he, he – that guy kills me. You want, you would get along with him. He's the most positive, happy-go-lucky dude ever. Really? Ever. And Vladimir Putin Killed all his him. friends. Oh, my God. Like, I, I'm not going to lie. Now, I'm, I'm – listen, far as think from an expert on this kind of thing – but, like, when I was picking him up from the train station the first time, you know, my dumb amateur ass was, like, looking around the corners and shit. Just, you know, it's like a week into the war. Oh, wow. And I'm like, I, I really don't want this dude to get murked while he's with me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, because what his claim to fame, there were a lot of them with Vladimir Putin. But he was the West. There was, there was a guy in Russia and maybe another reporter too, but there was a guy who had been in the FSB in Russia who was a whistleblower on this, but he was Russian. And then in the Western world, David Satter was the journalist who blew the whistle on Vladimir Putin blowing up his own apartment buildings in Moscow in 1999 to get into office. He created a fake war with Chechnya by blaming that bombing on the Chechens, started the Second Chechen War, was viewed as a wartime leader. His, his approval rating went from 2% to like 55 and he won the election and the rest is history and David Satter uncovered this and no one fucking listened. In what year? 1999. Wow. Imagine screaming into an abyss sometimes meeting with presidential he met with every administration multiple times for 20 some years about like this dude is a loose cannon and eventually people kind of picked up on that but they never took it like seriously enough 
And then he goes and does this shit. And like, I know that war is a mess and there's a lot, like, I understand there's a lot going on, but you know, he's an asshole and he's a dictator. He's not as bad as Xi in China. I'll say that. But that's like saying, you know, he's a dwarf among midgets. Like, you know, you're not really winning anything here. Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> I think so. It's I, I have friends. I, don't know. I, I, I never know with some words these days. But that was a family guy joke. I'm not taking credit for that. But like, you know, he's not a he's obviously not a good guy at all. And I have a dude sitting here who's like so happy about the world. Wow. Lackadaisical almost. I'm like, dude, I've asked him on camera, but a lot off camera too. Like are you worried about like getting got? And he's like, yeah, it's a fear sometimes, but you know, if he could have, I feel like he would have at this point. And then he talks about like his friend who was thrown off a building in DC last week. And I'm like, and you're not like a little, he's like, well, I take precautions. He just looks at me like that. I take precautions. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what fucking precautions you're taking, but your ass fucking, Drove here to see me. That that doesn't feel very precautious to me, but whatever, you know. He he just has a great attitude about it, and I just can't imagine, you know, again, this guy has killed all his friends, whether it be Boris Nemtsov, Anna Politskaya, a lot of people whose names I can't fucking pronounce. You know, Putin just murks him because he can. And this guy, David Satter, finds a way to just, he seems to be one of the happier guys I know. What do you think's contributed to that? You know, when I have him in again, we, I mean, we talk a lot off camera when he's here. And then I text with him a bunch. Sometimes I'll hop on the phone with him, but I've asked him about it. He doesn't really know, mm -hmm. but I want to get to that I, because I, I'm just, I, I admire it so, so much. Like he, being a positive person is a very hard thing. It's not natural. Human beings are not supposed to be positive. We're constantly fighting death. We're wired that way evolutionarily. So when I meet people like you, when I meet people like David, you know, sometimes I think people can be a little too positive and they can kind of block out reality. I've talked with you about that sometimes. I'm like, maybe you're one of them too, which is still net fine, you know, but I think you have to have some dose of reality. I'm not saying you don't. I'm saying sometimes I worry like if it could appear that way on your end. But if you can be more... Like, I think Andy said there's 120,000 thoughts that go in an average human's brain every day and 70,000 of them are, ne are negative. If you can get that down to 40 and 80 are positive, dude, you're going to have a great life. Like, that's incredible, right? You know, because some thoughts are more negative than others. Some thoughts are more positive than others. It's all a spectrum. But, like, if you can kind of keep it in there and then lean in – I'm looking at the positive side now with my hand – lean in positive hard – that's an admirable thing. And I think I think I do a pretty good job of that, but I'm always looking to be more positive about things. You know, like we talked about with myself. You know, I always worry about smelling, huffing your own farts and shit. Like, I never want to do that. But, you know, I guess some of it's motivation and is good, but sometimes I should be like, yeah, Julian, like, you could do that. You know what I mean? Like, those are the kinds of things that I feel like David Satter can do no problem. I know you can do no problem. And I'm like, I should learn from that because I, I could do myself a lot better if i were more like that so yeah there's a spectrum of it different people to learn kind of the same thing from who just have a different experience in life yeah one thing that struck me was you tweeting last night about how you know sometimes you can't turn the thoughts off in your head yeah and i'm curious what it's like to live in your reality 
in when you go to sleep at night, considering all the information you've downloaded from some of the smartest, most interesting, most well-connected people in the world? On one, there, there's two spectrums of it. On one spectrum is the normal thing that plenty of people listening right now, especially to your show, can relate to because there's probably a lot of entrepreneurs listening. When you're an entrepreneur and you're actually building something and you're OCD like me, that takes it to another level. You are just all the little things that I worry about that I probably don't have to, but maybe they do make a huge difference, to be honest, once they're added up. I constantly live with that. So that's one side of it. When I'm when I go to lay my head on the pillow at fucking four a.m., I'm thinking about you know, timestamp twenty three fifty eight and thirteen frames where I didn't cut it right to where he talks. I had it delayed going to him, and I need to fix that in the morning. Right, like where I changed the camera from one to the other. Especially with what the way I made shorts, because then the bar got I I set the bar, which was very cool. But then my bar personally kept getting higher and higher. That's why they take 25 hours, and that's why I don't do them anymore. It's not worth it for me to do them anymore. I taught – I have editors who I brought on and started paying money I don't have in April, and I'm very active. I work with them every day, but they're doing a fucking amazing job putting out daily clips between the two of them on the second channel, Julian Dory Clips that are what I would describe as watered-down versions of what I do. And to put that out on a daily basis – unbelievable to me and like they've learned a lot from me like teaching them this and they pick up things which is like it just that makes me so happy because these guys are just working so earning every bit of what they're what they're getting and, and i hope to pay them a lot more moving forward but you know like when i was in the middle of that like obviously it was like that all the time and with my intros i do every week it's like that those things take 20 to 25 to do they're documentaries on their own yeah and there's like I don't want – I don't ever create something thinking about the way other people do things. When it's done and it's out, it better be a 100 times better than anything else on the market. And other people are going to have to be the judge of that. But in my own honest head, I can usually point to that and say, yes, it is. Right now, there's nothing out there that did what this intro just did. You know, and I see there's people who are improving and I'm and I don't root against that. I think that's fucking awesome. Especially like if if them looking at my content had anything to do with that, I think that's like crazy to me. Very cool. But yeah, I wanna I'm not trying to be, you know, this director. I'm trying to be Marty Scorsese. I, I, I wanna I wanna do things when I when I'm creating things, it's a torturous process. And so that part of my brain never shuts off and it sucks because you know, in doing this, and again, a lot of entrepreneurs understand this, the first three to five year period, which I am still in right now, you don't really have a life, especially when I had a great life before this, never had a lot of money, but, you know, I'm a very social guy. When you turn that off a lot, that's hard. But the other side of my brain is the side of downloading what you're referring to, downloading the information I get off camera, more than on. On, there's plenty of things too, but you know, there's things I have to think about for a stupid fucking podcast, and I say that deliberately. That annoys me to no end that I have to think about it because of uh, – this is the most vague thing I could say, and I'm not going to dig into this. And people are just going to have to take it for what it is. But because of what other people 
not me, because of what other people come in here and then when I build a relationship with them off camera as well, reveal to me. And you start to realize very little in the world is an accident. And when you start having not not knowing, you trust me, you don't know sitting in that seat. But when you start having an idea on the right path of how things work based on all these other people who have been out there, done that. Yeah, you question everything. And it's just like my attitude though at the same time is like I just got to live my life. I can't do fuck all about it, yeah. you know, and, and I don't want to have, you know, people think that like, you know, a piece of content could change the world or something. And I, I do not think that. I think that collectively, a lot of great shows like podcasts, for example, collectively could cause a ripple. I do think that. I think they have. I think, I, I think they have, but you know, unless you're the first, which I guess like Joe Rogan was really the first, like that kind of changed the world. I could make that argument pretty good. I, I I think I'd win that argument if I said it. But like once he did it, you don't – you're just a podcaster, bro. <laughs> and, you know, you're lucky to be able to get perspectives that then hopefully the audience considers themselves to be happy to also receive by listening to it. That's the hope at least. That's what you're trying to do. But – yeah, how things work is very complicated and how you have to think about information and how it's going to be viewed is, is stressful. Also because, as we've discussed today, I know I'm very live when I go on camera. Like, I don't have a script. Mm -hmm. Things would be a lot easier if I had a script. So I have to think about... Generally speaking, if certain things come up at some point, well, I don't know what fucking guess, but someone in the future, how do I handle that? How do I handle that and also not betray confidences? That's a real question because you may have a piece of information in your head that you're like, oh, it's this. You can't say that. You know, that my word is my bond. When I talk to people, like I always tell people, I'm not a journalist. But when you say to me, Julian, are we off the record right now? I'm, I'm a fucking journalist. And that's it. That's I will take that shit to the grave. You know, that means a lot to me. So I'm constantly thinking about that because I'm using all these little tidbits I get to analyze things. And my mind is just like this all the time, all the time, all the time. And I'm like, sometimes I just want to, you know, hit a button, turn it the fuck off. You know what I mean? And I can't, I can't do that. Like last night I only slept like five and a half hours, I wanted to sleep eight before this because I know I have another one tomorrow I'm doing and I'm like, all right, I want to be rested. We're doing two podcasts today. I wake up sick every morning as it is, you know, but I couldn't. I, I actually got in my bed last night at like 11 o'clock, which I can't remember the last time that happened. But I didn't go to bed till about 1.30 or 2. And I wasn't just sitting there like doom scrolling on my phone. I was trying to read a book. And then I'd like stop, you know, my fucking ADD, just get off to the side and I start thinking about things. And then I just, yeah, it just doesn't turn off. How do you live with yourself? Again, you know, I think 
is I don't view that this this is how. At no point am I the hero in any of those stories that I'm thinking about. I'm just the guy sitting here analyzing this at home. So I live with myself because I am, by nature, disconnected from it. It's just the idea that, like, you know that's out there. Yeah. And it, it's in there. It definitely know? changes your mind when you hear James Fox's story or you hear yeah. Andrew Bustamante's story. Yeah. Like, just just hearing it from my perspective, third person, as the viewer, like, wow. That, oh, sorry. That, no, you're good. That, that changes life to some respect. And then only when you hear the conversations that happen off camera and then hearing how you can say certain things but then can't say certain things. Yeah. And, like, there's a lot going on there that I think very few people could really have to think about. Even a, per, uh, a journalist, right, yeah. um, like who's, let, let's say, a reporter in writing. They have the time to be like, all right, I'm going to write this and then let me delete this because that's not something that can be said. You're doing it live, like you said. Yes. And so there's so many hoops that you need to jump through. Where do you go for, I guess, solace or to help recharge in all of this? Because how do you, how do you think about all this and how do you think like you have to, you have to be able to go somewhere to remove all the, the noise that you, that you come in with? I talk on the phone with a lot of people. Yeah. I talk with people a lot. You do. My my buddy Danny Jones is who runs concrete I talked about earlier. You know, that's one of my best friends and he does a similar thing to what I do. So there's a intense understanding there. So I talk with him almost every day. And, you know, we reason these things out. Because he, he gets the same shit I do. Yeah. You know? And he's constantly like, fuck. Just thinking about all this. So that's one place I do it. And I mean, I'm looking forward to when I move out of here, getting healthy again. And that's, that's something I'll never take for granted. I mean, before I did this, I worked out six to seven days a week, right? 90 minutes minimum, right? I like deadlifting. I like squatting. I like benching. I like boxing. I like fucking cardio to get my heart rate going and whatever. And I have to make myself do it now. I don't need to get into all why I'm fine. For people at home, I'm absolutely fine. But like, there's there's some stuff that living here, just like in this atmosphere, that's that has been affecting my health all three years. First, I thought I was dying, and then we figured out what it was, and it was like, oh no, I'm gonna be fine. But I'm looking forward to getting that fixed when I move out of here and investing in myself, which is something I've not been able to do because I'm building this alone. I'm trying to get to the point where I can turn it off for six hours because I got to go take care of this at the doctor's office. You know what I mean? So that is something that is going to be a huge boost because when I do get to actually, when I actually have a rare day where I physically feel okay and I can do, I mean, it's still 50% of what I used to be able to do. It's still something like this morning. I, I had a good sweat. I sweated like I knew you were coming in. I woke up really early for me. I got up at like eight fifteen. That doesn't happen. I go to bed at like four thirty. I wake up at like ten thirty. So I got up. I didn't want to do it. I didn't feel very good today, but I did get a sweat going. And it was like that's the I believe in physical fitness as an outlet more than anything else. And not to put a doctor's hat on because God knows I'm the farthest thing from it, but it is to me for things that are not life-saving it is the best drug you can take 
and obviously like not eating like shit that that's another part but just getting the sweat on like one thing we didn't do today because i had worked out this morning we didn't go for a walk i go for walks like when Pustamante got here, we went for a walk, like in the fucking neighborhood. I love walks. Nice romantic little walk, talking <laughs> about life. And it wasn't long, but like I need to get, I walk fast as fuck. I need to get the legs moving. I need to get the blood flowing because, look, I mean, look at this. This is great for a podcast studio. You know my next studio is not going to be my office like this, though. You know that's on purpose. I'm going to be in fucking sunlight. It's going to be in a separate part of the house. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because this is, I love this. But when you're in this every goddamn day for three and a half years, yeah, that's not great. Now, it's my choice. It is what it is. You're paying your dues. Shut the fuck up, you little bitch, and do it, right? Like, yes. that is what it is. But, like, yeah, when I when I earn the right to not have to do that, yeah, this is – you don't want to be like this. This is not – that is not natural light right there. You understand? And I don't turn those on during the day, by the way. I turn on that little one over there. I, these are never on. Yeah. But, like – that's not natural light. That's why I try to open that window. Doesn't do much. There's yeah. fucking trees out back. You well, know? It, it's crazy because there's people like you. Uh, there's people like Taylor Rooks, who I'm thinking of as well. Who Who's are, that again? Taylor Rooks She's is a, a reporter? An interviewer yeah. as well, who does an amazing job. And it's like, you guys are both... She tells me like she has trouble meditating and she has trouble like in her own head and yeah. thinking too much because she's always thinking about professionally what's next. And... I'm like, you guys are both phenomenal at what you do, and you're operating at like 50% or like 30% of your capacity. Like, there's levels to what you will do. You're already incredible at what you do. There's You're going to like reach new levels by just taking care of yourself, which yes. is just an exciting thing to think about is like- Good way to look at the it. The world hasn't even seen the best Julian Dory and probably won't until you start taking care of your mind and body. I don't mean this to like pump myself up, but I mean this dead seriously. You're a thousand percent right about that. I know. I joke with people, but it's not, it's like joking, but it's dead serious. I've been building this podcast on one leg. When you give me two legs again, just wait. Game over. Like it's game. Like I have been, people like, I don't want to like draw attention to too much shit. Maybe we'll talk about that off camera. But you, if you look closely, you can tell a few things like when you're watching me on camera yeah. like there's things physically that are not uh you know there's little like say allergic reactions you can see it yeah and like when i do, i don't remember what it's like to smell i haven't fucking smelled shit in three and a half years you know like when i get little things like that back and then when i'm in there being a hopefully like my own little personal beast again you know let it out and I got to get both my shoulders fixed because they both got blown out during this whole time too. Like I got a lot going on. But once I can like get a little air to do that, if those are my problems, I'm ahead of the game here. I, t I mean you talk with a lot of people who have some real problems in life, right? I have people across from me who are like, you know, my, my, my stepfather tried to kill me, like all this shit. And I'm just like, oh my God, like I have it so good. So, you know, I, I always keep that in perspective and it's like, Look, we're doing it. Like that's a really positive thing. Like it's worked while it's like this. Imagine what it'll be like when it's not. And I and I'm I could not be more excited about that. I don't remember what it's like to feel to wake up feeling good. And I think that'll that'll make it I will never take it for granted again. I'll tell you that. And I think it'll make it all the more better when I get to do that. Yeah. Well, one of the things you do so well, I feel, is you're able to go to the juiciest parts of someone's story and really dig it out of them in a way that is like 
loving and open armed of like, yo, mm. like I'm, I can hear you for whatever it is. How do you go about doing that so effectively? I don't think about it. Yeah. There's no thought. There's no plan. Like, oh, what's gonna push this guy's buttons? There's no. I don't think about. The most I do with someone I don't know before I go to get them to be invited to come in is I'll go see if they have something online where they talked. Hopefully they do. And I'll listen to 30 seconds and I just make sure they have the ability to talk. Like they, they don't talk like this or, you know, because I can't really work with that, right? Because you can't get invested. It's not so much that. It's like... I know the people out there aren't going to be able to, yeah. and I'm going to waste this person's time. But as long as they can talk, like when I when I was a, I was a fan of Joby Warwick, great writer, at, who's he's been out of the Washington Post now for like 25 years, but wrote a couple, a few amazing books. One of them won won a Pulitzer. He won a Pulitzer for reporting back in I think the mid 90s as well. But this guy wasn't on any podcasts. Yeah, he was on like. A couple, really, like no one's ever heard of them. And I realized that maybe there was a chance I had someone connected to him. And I'm like, oh, let me go figure out to get this guy in. So I, I said, he's on nothing. So I go, I type in, there's something on YouTube with like, maybe it has more views now after he came in here. But I had like 100 views or something. And I watch him talk for 30 seconds. And I'm like, this guy's fire. What the fuck is going on? With two Pulitzers? He talks like that? No one's had, get him in here. This guy's fire. I'm like, this guy's awesome. And like he's a friend, like he's he's an awesome guy, like the nicest dude, another one of those, nicest dude ever. And he's just this incredibly humble, like incredibly humble. You'd cross him in the street and never know who he was. But he's just this wealth of knowledge and, and information and, and like I can work with that. I, I don't know why he says the things he says with me. I'm glad I can get it out of him, but I don't. Yeah. I know Joby Warwick's mouth works. It can move and it has information coming from his brain and we're good. We'll get there. That's yeah. it. Yeah. That's so simple. But Yes. You're on to something. <laughs> well, you keep it simple, but then you, you throw in these complex, uh, you know, movies that you basically make and it seems complex to the outside viewer, but... Complex to make. Yeah. Not complex in delivery. Did you have any previous experience with video or video editing? I self-taught how to edit. I had done an edit of something in high school and really enjoyed it on like fucking Movie Maker or something. And I was always into culture in edits and in making things. I'm like, if you're going to make something, use, you know, a song by Jay-Z and CCR. Don't use some royalty-free, which now when I put it on the regular YouTube videos, I do have to use royalty-free, obviously, which I hate. But I spend hours going through composer after composer. And even though I hate the fact that it's royalty-free, I have found along the way some composers who are fucking amazing. Like Or Chausha, uh, Brianna Tam. I'm forget I remember the names of some of the songs. I can't remember the names of some of the artists. But, you know, I have a library that I've gone through because I started doing those intros. I basically took the things I was doing in shorts and translated those skills to now spending that time on the episodes at number 113 with Jim DiOrio. And that was one of those things. I'm like, it was, he was coming in for a news quick one. We were going to turn around and I'm like, oh, I got to make a good intro. Fuck it. I'll make an intro like shorts. And I'm like, no, don't do this. If you do this, you're now going to do it every week. You dumb fuck. Don't do this. <laughs> I went and did it. And then I showed it. I, I was with a couple of my cousins down the shore and they're like, oh, wow. And I'm like, fuck, I'm going to do this every week now, aren't I? 
because when I find a better way, I'm OCD. I have to do it that way. So I started doing that, and now I've done I don't know, 40 of them, something like that, 50, somewhere in there. And like I've used pretty much all different music. There's probably about six or seven songs I ended up using twice because they really worked. But you know, like that process of of bringing stuff together, I had I had always like when I made the shorts, I'm always using real beats. Like my most popular clips have my most popular clip I should say that I ever made had the hills by the weekend behind it, and I remastered the the decibels on that song throughout it. I've had other instrumentals that I take where you hear, oh, yeah, because you can move your head and start singing the words before you're listening to what's on the podcast. It's people relate to it. They don't know who Orichalsha is. They don't start. There's no words to that song. But if they hear, if they hear, bum, 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 your man on the roadie doing promo, that's what they're doing in their head. I definitely got the words wrong there. But that's what they're doing in their head. They're, they're singing the songs. And so I wanted people to sing with the music. And that was something in high school when I did the, that initial edit. I had done that. So when I started teaching myself how to use Adobe Premiere because of Mitch and Mike telling me to do it in 2019, I started doing some edits for my buddy Chaz Servino because I was doing marketing work for him. And I started to like learn like how the eye works. And it's I've never read a damn thing on editing. I've watched a few videos of like what buttons to click in Adobe Premiere. I have to do that every now and then because I have no fucking idea how to use it for real. People would have a heart attack if they watched me use it. But like I can do everything fast. I just don't – I can point. I'm like – I'm the guy that can play the music. I can't read the, the notes. Well, it just goes know? to show how important the taste is in what you have. Yes. And how taste. taste is the most important thing. You say you're not doing it correctly, quote unquote, from a professional standpoint and people would – laugh at you but it's like no no the, like the way I, to, to be clear the way that i use the tools in adobe premiere yep i don't know like i can remember names of tools and what they do but like if you talk to like an expert editor they could describe every single i just know like oh yeah click that thing right you know no that that makes sense but and it highlights the point that it's like you have to taste and the taste comes from like you just look around the studio and you see like what types of things you're inspired by and the culture you're inspired by. How, what role has how you've grown up and who you've grown up with played in your life and the podcast as a whole? I'm influenced by everything, man. But I grew up, I was an only child, and so I had to learn to spend a lot of time alone growing up, which sounds like depressing. But, you know, I was a big, I'm a huge reader, but when I was growing up, I was also a huge movie buff. And I, I'm into art. I'm into creative i'm into i mean i think that's part of you were asking me about like understanding like having an emotional connection with guests or whatever i think a lot of that comes through understanding art and why people did shit like marlon brando back there i've watched every movie he's ever been in the first one was in 1952 i think right like i'm into that he's the greatest actor to ever live why what made him great he did less right why did he do less because he's present you know so Things like that I can see. And, and one thing in doing this and scanning footage, like for example, when I go through an intro, the previous intro I did, which was a minute 10 seconds, it was 28 seconds of audio that I was putting visuals over as that matched up the description of the story. And then it was about 40 seconds of mid-rolls time to the beat to hit. I went through 28 hours of footage that I downloaded offline to go find cuts. 
for those. And when I find those cuts, I will change the zooms. I will change the movement. I will change the speed. I will change the timing. I want the head to turn right in as the screen switches. I don't want it to turn and have two beats before the screen switches because your eyes, when you are the viewer watching the screen of all these things happening, we are most focused on what? The face. The eyes. The human eyes are the most important thing. So I want to know, I have like a tracker on those eyes and I want to know, like I'm watching the screen being sucked in, now it hits, right? So those things are all feel. And I think a lot of that came from understanding why people did things they did on the screen growing up. And, you know, when I am, when I'm editing, when I take the B-roll, because again, I gave you the example earlier of like using Safe House for Ryan. If I turned on the volume to those clips, which I don't, when I'm going through YouTube, it's on mute and I'm listening to podcasts or music, you know, and I'm just going through and I'm looking at visuals. Can the visuals tell the story? I don't want to be, I don't want to be paralyzed by what I hear happening or what if I've seen the movie I already know is happening. I want to see, do the visuals match what this person is saying or what I'm trying to get across? And so... I learn who the best actors are when I watch this because I'm watching what they do without me hearing a word of what they say. Wow. And I see the guys, the, the, the greatest actors, the most important feature they have is how they use their eyes. It's not even close. It's the most important thing they do. And I watch people do just the smallest little things. And it helps like if, you know, it's whether it's a female or a male actor, if they have great eyes, that helps, obviously. But the way they use them, you see a lot of pretty people who are shitty actors, who got great eyes, but don't know how to fucking use them. They don't make you believe, right? I said a quote earlier, and I should attribute it to Al Pacino. Like, he said, it's easy to fool the eyes. It's very hard to fool the heart. You got to be able to fool the heart. And I see the people who do that, and then I, I get to use that. My intros are fever dreams. My shorts are fever dreams. You know when you're dreaming, like, at night, and you're in a story, and it's integrating parts of movies you've seen, and it has nothing to do with it, but then it has everything to do with it? Because it lines up with whatever your dream is, mm -hmm. like the plot of your dream. Maybe your plot involves like Al Pacino and the Godfather being Michael Corleone, but he's like your uncle who's taking you somewhere to get fucking something to eat, but he's still Michael Corleone from the Godfather. That's what I'm doing with intros. Mm -hmm. When these people are describing that stuff, and I cast people, I, like I can't, when, when the story's personal, I'm casting somebody. Like Ben Foster was cast as Chris Cather's. For that, for, that, for that first video. Why? Because Ben Foster was in Lone Survivor. Chris Cathers was a special forces guy on the ground for initially special forces and then the CIA. So I knew the visuals from that movie would line up. And then I found other movies of Ben with a beard that acted out the things he was saying. You know, like I'm always looking to cast people in the roles. And a lot of times they kind of look similar too, which is pretty funny. It's this obsession with details. Yes. That is so evident when you spend time in the studio when you just watch a short or watch one of those intros you and even from the conversations themselves like you could tell the obsession with details is something that is a huge strength of yours i appreciate that man yeah why why do you think most people skip over details when they're so so important i don't know if i were guessing they're not ocd <laughs> yeah I, I, that's the only thing I got for you. Cause like I sit there, I mean, I'm like a pet. You like gotta be like, all right, Julian, all right, sit over there, relax, slow down. But I'm like, no, it has to be like this. Yes, right there. No, that guy. No, I don't believe that. Sorry, it's gotta be this. 
like when I had Sean Ryan sent his producer Kemble here a few weeks before Sean was here for the weekend to sit with me and mad props to them and their team over there because like you wouldn't think it but I guess like you think like military guy you'd never think this but they Sean and Kemble both have a true artist eye i have had a lot of people sit in that seat while i'm sitting at that computer right there and watch what i do including people who are talented creatively and they just don't get it hmm. they can't they know why they like it after i do it but they never see it before i do it and they don't understand what i just did hmm. even if i showed it to them step by step but when i had kimball sitting here not every time but like a lot of times he's like oh you're gonna do that because you want it to flip right there you know i'm just making shit up right yeah. you want it to flip when it cuts to the new one i'm like yes that's a yes that's exactly what i'm gonna do i was like damn like you got it all right someone so i think that was when i officially realized like most people can't see this they just you could try to teach someone but I've only ever lived in my brain, man. I've never lived in someone else's brain. I don't know how they process, but I at least have the understanding that 99.99% of people, more than that probably, don't process imagery in the way I do. Kemble's one of the people who's at least on the wavelength, right? And I don't – and that's not like a narcissistic statement. I don't process the way other people do. Like a Andy Bustamante, as an example, that is the most analytical motherfucker I've ever met in my entire life. Like – full-blown everything is a zero and a one you know i have the analytical side not like that yeah. not like that i mean he is brutally pragmatic on numbers with every like he's like calculating like you can see his eyes calculating like with those big eyes like fucking like like doing math in his head while he's talking to you and then it translates into language i could sit next to him all day every day and i'm not gonna fucking think like that yeah i just never had thought about stuff like that that much before it's not like oh everyone thinks like i do i never thought that either but i thought like oh we can all just learn shit yes for certain things no for certain things hmm. i found it interesting how you told sean ryan's team that your best performing shorts were stories and that was mm -hmm. something that like really clicked for them when you said it and it clicked for me as well it's like you want something to go viral or you want to actually impact people, you tell a story. Yeah, don't ever think I want something to go viral. Don't ever do that. I never did that. I, I, I never do. Sometimes I'll joke like when, when a clip's done, like when we're going through the process right now, like, ooh, that's viral. Like I'll make, I'll make a joke after the fact. But like you never you never want to be like I'm trying to go viral. Right, but your intention is to get Look, people to oh, see your thing. Oh, your intention is to go as viral as possible, but you're not. Th th you understand what I'm saying? No, you never want to think that. Mm. You want to think. I want to make something beautiful, and I want to pick something. I want to pick a context to make beautiful that has the best chance to have success, which then can translate to going viral. But when you start getting stuck on thinking like, "How do I make this viral?" You're 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 deducting backwards instead of forwards so what i'm first doing is i'm saying what clips paint a visual it's about where i start okay this one this one this one all right let's go pick all those out what clips now paint a visual that creates a narrative all right this one this one this one this one all right what could i do with that 
oh, I could put safe house on that one and describe it that way. And then working some Black Hawk down and about five other movies that come to my head and this scene, that scene, whatever. Yeah, okay. Now, if I do all that, because again, I'm about to now spend the way I was doing it, 25 hours on this shit. So I better, it, you don't want to be 10 hours in and be like, ah, oh, this is not, this doesn't have a chance. You don't want to be like that. But that's happened a few times, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. How does that feel? Oh, it sucks. You're like, do I stop? Do I keep going just to put it out? I've put some out pretty rare. A lot of times I stop. There's a lot of videos that people would be like, what? Like people who are fans would be like, oh my God, I love that. But like the average person who's never saw me, they may skip it because it doesn't accomplish the job. Because again, like you said, you want it to be seen by the most people. You want it to be viral as hell. You just can't approach it that way. Once you're making it, if you know in your head, like, this just isn't it. Well, yeah, in your head, you're recognizing, well, this has no shot of going viral. But it's, you didn't start with that. And it sucks because you're like, oh, well, if I started with that every time, would I be able to avoid this? Maybe, but you wouldn't, be, it's hard to explain. You wouldn't be able to create something great. Like, to create something great, I, I, the, the quote I live by that I always paraphrase because I found out he, he did say it a different way. But Rick Rubin has a quote that essentially paraphrased means sometimes the, the pieces fall together in such a way that it's almost as if the universe wants it to happen. And that happens in every fucking video I've ever made that does well and including some that don't, that look beautiful at the end, right? There is something that happens like, oh my God, why was that cut on that trailer I downloaded one second and three frames? When I first started this out, I didn't even know what the length was, but I needed it at two. And when I slowed it down to 60%, it was exactly the size it needed to be so that it landed three frames before that guy says it so the human eye catches up and thinks it was on the same frame. Why did that happen? I don't know, but it did. Why did this song drop? That clip I showed you that, that my team, Alessi made yesterday, right? That dropped the the uh, the scream of the song dropped right when Andy got to the first payoff of the story. He didn't plan that that way. It landed right there. It landed right there. The hills landed right when he said, "Well, why am I going to do this?" And then he started the second half of the story on the second drop. Why does that happen? He didn't say like, "Oh, I'm going to take this six minute segment and cut it to 53 seconds exactly and make sure that he says this thing right there." And that clip has 100.5% watch time at 53, 53 or 54 seconds right now, which is really solid, right? And part of it is because artistically it landed just right. The universe wanted that song because it fit. It wanted that spot and it wanted that feeling that the person's going to be like, ooh, now they're like invested in it. It's like you're, but you want to picture the viewer who really is just sitting there like this. With their hand over their thumb, but in their mind, they feel like they're on a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. They feel like you've, when you're watching a real clip and you feel the skin change, whatever, you feel like you just like need a shower, like you just went and did something. That's what you want them to feel that on clips. And so when I'm doing that, like you, your original question was about the story. The drill I did with Kemble when he flew in here was we, I sat him in that seat. And we were, we, I just wanted to feel it out. I wanted to go through their content. I had already gone through some, obviously, but I wanted to see his approach, you know, what he was thinking. Oh, why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? Oh, okay. Sometimes it was like an amazing idea. I'm like, oh, I'm going to work with him. I'm going to do that. Right. But then they were making a lot of solid clips and they were putting out a lot of content because he's got a team and they're doing an amazing job over there. 
And nothing was bad. But I'm like, there's a lot of like opinion pieces. No one gives a fuck about opinions. Maybe if it's Joe Rogan. Once in a while, you'll land one. But your chances of landing an opinion are like one in a hundred. Your chances of landing a story, if it's done right, are one out of two. Okay? So I said to him, I said, all right, we're going to play a game. And I went to their Eclipse page, and I went to the Shorts tab, and there's a tab that says Popular or Latest. And I hit Popular. And I said, okay, one, two, three, four. There were like 13 videos above a million. One was at 10, one was at 9. It was on its way down. And I said, how much you want to bet every single one of these is someone telling a story? And Campbell's sitting there, he's like, what? Because he's got like a thick... Midwest Southern accent. I was loving it. He's fucking sitting here with me in New Jersey. Had never been on a plane before. Came here to no see me. Way. It was the coolest thing ever. He's like, you think they're all going to be a story? And I'm like, Kemble, how much you want to bet they're all going to be a story? He's like, no, no way, man. No fucking way. No way. And I'm like, okay. So we start the first one. And like a story doesn't, the hook isn't always the start of a story. Not every story starts with, so when I was 18, or like, so when I went into it, sometimes it'll be like something powerful. Like there was one that was not necessarily a story that we put out yesterday that was like Andy, Andy Bustamante from the latest episode, Break It Down. Human beings are not good. He starts it off like that, right? And I'll let people watch the episode, see where he goes with that. That wasn't a story, but sometimes a story could start with human beings are not good. When I was in Iraq... In 2003, and I, now it's a story, yeah. right? And because of the way we do the style with the visuals, we can cheat sometimes. And we can, the way we do it, we can make some things seem like a story that aren't because the visuals are painting what looks like a story. It doesn't always work. Mm. In fact, it doesn't work more often than it does as far as like anything viral or like doing very well at least. But you can, you work with that. But I start taking Kemble through all these videos one by one, story, 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 and then we get to like the fifth one, and it starts off, and and it's a it's really intense. Really, this guy like looked like he had been through twelve wars. He probably had it was some guest, and he goes, "You," and it was no music. It was just silent. He goes, "You, you think you're gonna tell me what I can do?" And Campbell's like, "See, we got one." I said, "Up." Ah! I went like this, and he goes, you haven't lived on that battlefield. See, when I went in there, and, I, and he's like, son of a bitch! <laughs> like, sitting back to every single one. And I was like, you have to tell a story. In this pea brain world, that's the one thing that people will get invested in, because they're like, well, I want to find out what happens next. And you, it better be good, too. Don't just put a story up there for it to be a story. You know, there were times where I experimented with that, and I'm looking back on it, I'm like, wow, yeah, I'm glad that was only an experiment, because that's, the viewer's not happy at the end. They need some sort of payoff. They need something that shows them, like, okay, this means something. I'm invested in this. I want to see more. I want to click the podcast. You know, but stories are everything. That's the my biggest problem with your content you're putting out. Very few stories. Mm. It's all fucking opinions. And that's why, like, you have one that does 10 million, then you have 2,000, 1,000, 2,000, 1,000. And like I then see when one gets when one gets hit, and I'm like, not always. Sometimes it's an opinion because again, you're gonna hit one once in a while. 
But like other times, I'm like, ooh, he's see, he said when I was 18 or something like that. And he's telling a story and people get attached to it. And like, I think that's the one thing that like, as you move your podcast forward, you're going to get a lot more content that does that because you've been more focused on these first 360, 370 episodes, whatever it is with like people's mentality and things and like what drives them. And I think even based on some of your questions today and how you wanted me opening up on, on narratives of things, I think you're going to get more towards exploring people themselves and, and how they fell into these situations. Not that you don't do that. You do that. But I'm saying like, I think you're going to do that a lot heavier. And I think you're, I think you're going to get to a point where people are just spewing and you're like learning things about who they are that, you know, it's sad. Speaking from experience, it's it's a pretty awesome thing. Yeah, I I appreciate the feedback, and I would love to receive any feedback you have about the content or anything I put out, because that's how you get better, and also because you're clearly a master at understanding what people want and have done that so well over the past two years. So, thank you. For, Thanks, man. Yeah, no, thank you for your time. This is one of the longest episodes I've done. And How long did we record for? About two hours. And see, you could, you could do this, no problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I like to end these podcasts with challenges for people. A challenge points to the place in your heart you believe people should take the information they've learned and actually do something with it. Does a challenge come to mind? So for you, right? Obviously, a challenge for people listening. If you are out there and you are, you have a dream, the first quick question you need to ask yourself and you need to be honest listening to your gut is, okay, is this actually something that I could do for a living and that is attainable? So like if you're like me and you're six foot one white dude, I'm not going to go to the NBA next year. It's not going to happen. You know, it's not, you have to be like the word realistic can be dangerous, but like you got to be like somewhat honest, right? But if you have a dream that you know in your gut is absolutely attainable and you are finding every reason on the cons list of pros and cons to not go after that, you need to sit down and actually write down all those pros and cons and then look at the cons side at the end and decide if every single thing you wrote there is a problem that you can solve. If it is, then get the fuck off your ass and do it because chances are like a lot of your audience is probably in their early 20s, stuff like that based on the content you do. That is the time. When you have a wife and kids, which I don't yet and is very deliberate why I'm going all in and doing this right now, I am not going to be like this. Sorry. Don't call me after 6 o'clock on Friday. I'm not fucking answering. You know, like I'm going to be present. I've seen, I had a great example of my parents' marriage and I have other great examples to look at and I have a lot of bad examples to look at. I have a lot of people who have regret and I never, ever want to be that. So I stopped and I, believe me, I speak in this challenge from the perspective of someone who did find every silent excuse in their subconscious to not fucking do things earlier than they should. And it all worked out and I'm proud of being able to finally do it, but like, yeah, there's no reason I shouldn't have done this when I was 24. Not 22. That would have been bad. I'd been canceled off the internet because I'm a fucking idiot. But like, you know, yeah, I could have done this earlier and I found reasons not to. And a lot of people never find a reason to. 
And it, listen, it's not easy watching life. It's not easy to do it, but it's not easy watching life pass you by. It sucks. It does. I don't spend a ton of time on like social, social media like that. I spend time on social media because it's part of my job, right? But it's very business oriented. I'm not sitting there scrolling through as much, but I still do it. Hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes 1 a.m. I'll look through. Like I don't watch a lot of stories, but when I do, I watch all of them, right? And I see people living their life. And in a lot of ways, I'm not right now. And I used to live it very much to the fullest. And I'm going to again. And that's the perspective I have to feel. But you got to be willing to do that. And it sucks. And people will call you. They'll talk about balance. They'll talk about, oh, my God, I'm so worried about you and shit. And, like, you have to be honest with yourself. Oh, am I going to a bad place? Luckily, I never have. And, like, I've been in a good spot. And now we're coming towards the end of this era, knock on wood, where I'm going to have my life again. But the road to get there, yeah, if I sat here and said I've been perfectly fine sitting here, sick in a house, building in a studio with dim lights for three and a half years, no, it's not all great. And you have to be willing to do that. But the pain of not going after that, I'm kind of diarying of the mouth right now, sorry. But the pain of not going after that, knowing the shiver I get up my spine now, thinking about if I hadn't, will be far worse than the pain of going through it. And so if you want to do something, shut the fuck up, write down that list, figure out how to problem solve every con and go do it. Well, on that point, what was the subconscious that was telling you not to do it? I'm not good enough. I'm not good at anything. Why the fuck are people going to listen to me? Everyone does a podcast. It's oversaturated, which it was. It's very dumb to start a podcast. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that to be honest with you but especially at this point but maybe you are like and you're honest with yourself you got an angle and you could do it and if you do don't let me tell you not to do it let's be clear on that but you know i mean it's a laundry list danny it could be a hundred things like oh I, what are my parents gonna say i'm their only kid so they worry about me right what's my what's my family and friends gonna say what am i gonna have to deal with when i don't have a life and i have a very good life now like socially speaking at the time, like, do I want to give that up? You know, all these things. The list was long. Luckily, I part of it is that I never, <laughs> I didn't have time to have to go in and do the problem solving because I got thrown into it. The equipment arrived on my couch and my dumb ass had spent money I didn't have and it had to work. Yeah. And I do think about sometimes if I went and did the thing that I just gave advice to people to do, if I would have found a way to bitch out of that. Possible. It's possible I would have. But I hope the people out there are stronger than I would have been and, and don't. And if they really want to do something, do it and don't expect any of it to be given to you. And that's the thing. I never ask people for shit. I assume people are not going to give me anything and I'm stunned when they do. Like I have so many people. And look, I take the calls when I see it. And there's a lot of emails I don't see. I have like 90,000 unread emails, Jeez. you know. But when I see things... From people reaching out like, hey, man, I'd really love to talk with you about this random person. I take the call. It's not good for my schedule, but I do it. And sometimes I'm on the phone with people for an hour and a half. That's happened. But I watch a lot of people who reach out and they just want they want it. And I'm, I'm not the guy to be like, well, fuck you. You got to work. Like, I don't want to be like that. So I'm not. But like I get it across like. I, I watch, especially when people reach out and they take the video call with me and they want to start a podcast. Every call starts like this. 
Your faces like this are so happy they're talking with me. But I'm like, I don't know why you're happy to be talking with me, but cool. Starts like this. And as they start having me explain things, their face goes like that. And by the end, they're like, wow, man. Oh, fuck this. This is a lot. I really appreciate it. And they usually never start. They never do it. You know, and I don't tell them, like, don't start a podcast. On those calls, I don't ever say that because someone's already established they want to do that. And I'm not going to be the guy to trample on their dream. If they got a dream and they actually could do it, people could do it. You're living proof of it. I'd like to think I'm living proof of it, right? I'm getting there at least. But, you know, a lot of people, they just want it. They want their video to go viral right away. They want everything to happen. And I'm like, it doesn't fucking happen like that, dude. You got to be in there. You got to be obsessed to borrow your boy, Zach Pogrom, who's a great guy. His whole thing with obsession. I actually read his stuff. It's good. That is not my, that's the type of thing. Like, I wonder if I hadn't met him, if I would have given it a shot. But, like, he lives what he writes through and through and has for, I guess, what, like eight years now since he started that first business, right? This dude, if you haven't – it's at Zach Progrob on, on IG now. It used to be Follow Obsession, right? Behavior Hack. Behavior Hack, but now his tag is Follow Obsession. But he's on Instagram, he's on Twitter, and he writes all about obsession and, like, being obsessed with your craft, which he is. And he's, he's a great writer too. But, you know, you have to be like that. There's no, you know, there are people who can get by on just raw talent and they can be good. They'll never be great. Never be great. What do you think separates a good podcaster from a great podcaster? Curiosity. Curiosity, 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 curiosity. You're curious when I listen to your podcast. Even when I can tell it's a guest where you feel out of your wavelength just based on like what they do and you're like, I don't really know how this works. You are genuinely fucking curious about it. You're not – and you're a guy – you go at it a very different way than I do. You have notes. You prepare all this shit. That's great. That's how you do it. You have a way of making it flow. That's rare. A lot of people who have prepared shit, they don't make it flow because they're just writing down questions. They didn't really prepare. You actually get into people. When I heard your Andy Frisella one, which was amazing, and you, everyone should go listen to that. But the only thing that was wrong with that is it was like an hour, 15 minutes. You should have gotten three hours of his time, for sure. You should go back and do another podcast and make sure you get three. He'll give it to you now, for sure. But like, amazing podcast. Lot of lot of tidbits, things to agree with, things to disagree with. The guy's an inspiring dude, for sure. But, like, I heard one part where you were – you tied in a kid you had talked to on your podcast who had listened to Andy Frisella and had his life changed by it. And now he's got this enormous $10 million business in the UK. He's like 20 – whatever he was, 25, 28, whatever it was. Something crazy. And, like, you could feel Andy Frisella like, holy shit, I have no idea who that person is. That's fucking awesome, man. And, like, he – you tied that in so seamlessly to what he was saying and he not only did he feel heard, he felt seen because before you ever walked in here, you saw what it was exactly about that he sees it, what it's about, which is I'm going to go after setting a simple thing, 75 days of setting discipline for myself, which is going to help my life and other people are going to do the same type of system because the human brain is hackable in that way. And they're going to then go realize whatever it is the fuck they want to do. I have no idea what that is, but like if they're good at something, they're going to use this as a baseline to do it. And you were able to say, I've had a dude on my podcast who, who you've never met 
who doesn't know I'm here right now, maybe you had told him right before, was probably fanboying out about it. And you are responsible for him having this great life and being happy now. How does that make you feel? And he's like, it's fucking awesome, man. He said something like that. Dude, that's, that's everything. Yeah. And it's like, I never met Andy Frizzell. He seems like a really cool guy. But like, I could, I could feel what he felt through that. Yeah. And, I, and you, that is, you don't do that. You don't do that kind of preparation and tie in your own, tie it all together. That's one thing you do with your podcast very well. You narrate all your episodes of people and relate them back to like, oh, this guest we know from this episode over here. And then we talked about this topic in episode 117 or whatever. I love that, right? Like people who are incurious can't and don't do that. That is the most important thing. If you are trying to fucking date a girl, you better be curious about her. God knows that's killed me a lot of times because then I get too curious. I get in my own fucking head. I probably give myself from the other end. But you better at least start like curious and like not just like what do her tits look like i wonder is it is it a landing strip or is it fully shaved if you're thinking that you are not going home with her and she's not she's damn well not gonna be your girlfriend you know and that's it's no different not to like related to like trying to fuck somebody or something but like it's no different in a podcast you are trying and fuck a podcast it's no different in a conversation in life you really you're not gonna make a sale to someone unless you at least pretend to be curious about them which i don't recommend by the way there's some people who can do it but i think it's dog shit but you have to genuinely be invested in these people and that's part of the reason i think a lot of their guests i have i have a great relationship with them because i'm invested in them after the podcast whether it does good or bad i don't fucking care mm-hmm. that's not how i look at, i don't look at people by a view count we don't do that now are there are there some that it's like I probably wouldn't rush to do the podcast again because I do have, you know, I, I, there's a part of me that has a business to run. Yeah, but are there others that I'm like, fuck that. I'm bringing them, back, I'm bringing them in tomorrow. Fuck you. If you don't want to listen to it, don't listen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's just because I genuinely feel that connection with them. And that doesn't come unless I'm genuinely interested in it. Yeah, the curiosity and the, the willingness to connect with another human being, it shows through for you. And I appreciate all the, the kind words. I'm so grateful to have this episode be the bookend for where the journey took you in the sense of like, this is three years of you putting yourself through the grindstone in your house. But it's like, what is this podcast going to look like in the next stage? Yeah. And and I'm so excited that we have this as a resource that we could go back to and be like, this was Julian at this point in his life when he was ready to go out on his own. And so that's so exciting for me. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how the story progresses over the, the coming decades. Well, thank you for doing it, man. I, I've never, I can honestly say I've never had a bad experience being a guest on a podcast. Everyone I've been on has been awesome. I probably have never, you know, I don't really, I don't really open up about me other than in the course of a conversation which does happen naturally but i sitting down in one sitting like this one and my one i did with danny jones on concrete are the two that it's like probably got more out there than i'm comfortable with but that's a testament to to you too so thank you for coming here to do it that's that's really cool i'm looking forward to doing a podcast with you on my show now next hell yeah julian dory podcast wherever you listen Available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all the other places as well. Everywhere. And we got the Julian Dory Clips channel on YouTube. We're going to be putting it on Spotify as well. 
And then there's a third channel called Best of JDP, which is just all exclusively like shorts from a separate editor, Adam, who's doing an amazing job. That's on YouTube. But yeah, you got everything else. Wow. Amazing. All linked below. Thank you so much for your time, man. Thank you, brother.